tinfoil hat. Oh, what the fuck are you guys even talking about? Global controls will have to be imposed. And a world governing body will be created to enforce them. Welcome to tinfoil hat. We, we, we go deep, homeboy. Eric, open your mind. Drink from the fountain of knowledge. There's lizard people everywhere. That's some interdimensional shit. Wake up, Aaron. This is only the beginning. Dude, you just blew my mind. Welcome to Tim Fall High. You know I am. You know I'm here to do. I'm here to rock. Join me as always, Xavier Guerrero and my man, Jay Nice. Hey, guys. Hey, sorry. So, uh, just so you guys know, like things in my life had changed and I had to reorder when we record. So, we're now recording them both on Mondays. And no, my luck, the first time we do it. I throw out my voice, so I'm sorry. But, man, we got another killer show for you. Okay, we have Ian Ferguson uh, from White Lotus of Light on. I've been talking about this guy forever, and he did not uh, let us down, man. He came on here and crushed it, knocked it out of the park, and it was a great conversation. So uh, did you guys enjoy it? It was great. Absolutely. It was great. Yeah, he, he dropped the hammer of the gods, like you would say. Thank you, brother. So we're going to keep this intro short again because my voice and there's a lot of stuff going on. But really, uh, go check out tonight. If you're in Long Beach, go grab your tickets now to Tim Fall Hat Comedy Night. We're at Harvell's. Grab those tickets at samtriple.com. Bakersfield on Saturday at the Welve Comedy. Then we're going to Spokane on the 20, February 24th and, and Tacoma February 25th. Anything else, guys? New Broken Sim uh, is out there. Check it out. We talk about the Machine Gun Kelly incident. uh, And we'll have another one out soon. Yeah. And uh, YouTube actually hit We Don't Smoke the Same. They hit us hard. So uh, try to get us to 10,000. They're not notifications no more. So if you're a fan, uh, just tune into our YouTubes and Instagram and shit like that. All right. I love you guys. Great. This is a great show. Uh, Enjoy. Hope to see you in Long Beach. Hope to see you in Bakersfield. Enjoy the show. We go deep, homeboy. (laughs) Eric, open your mind. All right. Let's get into it. I'm very excited and giddy for this episode. Uh, I love his YouTube channel. Uh, You've heard me talk about him on all my podcasts and he's I'm very excited to have him here. Please welcome from the YouTube channel, White Lotus of Light, Ian Ferguson. How are you, brother? Oh, thank you, Sam, so much. What an honor to be on this show. Um, You've been doing really good work, as far as I can tell, for like a long time. And as I say before the show, I love how you mix like really intelligent, uh, well thought out, open minded, but also like that pyrrhic skepticism where you want to see you're like, hey, I'm open to anything. But show me something, you know, like I love that attitude. It, to me, it's like how we all should be really, you know, it's more open minded, but also discerning, you know, and and then you're the comedic content is, you know, there's always a few awesome zingers in it where you shred someone down. That's really funny. And so I love this show. And thank you so much for having me on. And um, thank you, Zavi and Johnny as well. Yeah, exactly. That's Xavier. That's yeah. Johnny. Oh, I should introduce you earlier. I'm oh, sorry. Okay. I was just reading yeah. the thing at the bottom and I was like, Good. oh, he goes by Zavi, but Xavier. 
Cool. Don't worry about of course. it. Xavier's <laughs> out. You're in. You're, uh, you're on the <laughs> So oh, uh, dude, you're on a high pedestal. You it sounds like oh Mount yeah, Rushmore's dude. coming. Mount Rushmore's coming. So yeah, no, we're, I'm we're very go. excited, man. And um I when I found your episode, I was sharing it with everybody because it's such great information and you really broke it down. And for me, and I, w- I want you to tell people about yourself, but for me, it's like everything you say what was talked about were just another piece of this puzzle. Like, does it just click in? Does it, or do you, do I have to force it? And I, I felt like everything you were talking about just clicked for me and clicked for me. And, you know, the style that I do is very much like Art Bell. I don't mean to do it. That wasn't what I intended, but I when I listened to Art Bell for that hour that someone's on their sh- his show or was on a show, he would just let them go and let them talk and uh, wasn't going to challenge them and all that stuff as long as they didn't say anything too crazy, but gave them an opportunity to give their side of what they want to say. So I always enjoyed that. So, Ian, before we go to uh, any farther, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and where they can find you? Yeah, absolutely. So you can find me on uh, White Lotus of Light on YouTube um, and then uh, whitelotusoflight.com. And then I, 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 I'm I, trying to decide if I want to have like a, a, a public profile and a, and a private profile on Facebook. But a lot of people do uh, have friend of me on Facebook who just follow the show. And that's fine. I mean, at some point I'll max out on that. I don't really like that whole thing where you don't have privacy anymore kind of thing that happens. But you know, uh, th- that's the price, I guess, of, of getting some uh, attention and eyeballs on your show. And so um, people can find me there. Um, as far as like the content we talk about here, it's pretty much on my YouTube channel. Um, I also have a bit shoot channel, you know, just in case because YouTube with all the censorship um, and a bit about me. So the main thing I do is I'm a Vedic astrologer. That means that I practice Jyotish or the science of light. That is the um, astrology of ancient India, which is a bit different from the kind of astrology probably most people know, uh, which is the Western uh, tropical zodiac astrology. I'm actually, I actually study that too. And I'm not one of those people that thinks it's one system or the other. I actually think both work. I just think they do different things. And so uh, that's the primary thing I do is uh, Vedic astrology. So telling people about their life karmas, like events that are going to come up. For example, like you can see in my chart, my natal chart kind of sucks. <laughs> that definitely played out. And then in uh, in Jyotish or Vedic astrology, they have a second half of life chart, the Navamsa. So, you know, like, for example, um, I'm trying to think the lady who did Harry Potter and blanking on her name right at the minute, but JK Rowling. Yeah. So like I haven't a hundred percented on this yet, but I'm just going to use her life as an example. Um, And that is that, you know, when she was like 39, she was out behind the Sainsbury's getting food before they put it in the dumpster. She was on the government dole. And by the time she was like 43 or 44, she was a billionaire. It literally was like a five year period of her life where she went from being a welfare mom to being a billionaire or very close to be a billionaire. It might've taken like six or seven years, but it was insanely fast. And um, another example that I definitely can vouch for in terms of, I've looked into the astrology deeply is George W. Bush, like before 40, he's washing out of the national guard, cocaine use. Nobody in the U S knew who he was at all. I guarantee it. And then he, you know, obviously he had daddy connections. All it says in his chart is super powerful father, super powerful older siblings, both of which were true. Um, and but his second half of life chart is 
just completely insane. By the way, can we swear? Can we drop F bombs? Yeah, light yeah. it up. Yeah. Light it up. Yeah. His, his chart is, and I will say it, fucking insane. Like his second half of life <laughs> chart is just completely off the charts, powerful, like global figure in history, right? We're talking about Bush, the the, the shorter and dumber, right? <laughs> w. So when he turns 40, he first, uh, his dad, his daddy hooks him with, up with Arbusto oil. And then he goes and he owns the, um, I think it's the Texas Rangers. I can't remember some Texas yep. baseball team. Yep. And then he became governor of Texas. And then by the time he was my age, he was president. So he went from nobody knew who he was, you know, other than, the Coke dealer probably knew who he was, <laughs> but nobody knows who this guy is. And then he's the most powerful person on earth. Boom. Like that. And it shows it in his chart and it shows that dichotomy in my, my church somewhere. It's not that badass, nor would I want to be president. God forbid. But yeah. um, it does have that like extreme dichotomy. And then my first 40 years just kind of sucked ass. And my second 40 have been like way better and way more interesting because I really just sort of, took a lot of gambles and went in the direction I wanted. I to love go. that. I love that. Mm-hmm. I was bro. I was check to check till I was 43 years old. Oh, and really? Now, I'm very blessed. And, you know, not, not as big as some, but you know, it's this, this saying I recently heard on sports talk from Colin Cowherd. He said, watch out for trying to be happier than happy. So like, I've been really content with where I am and if more happens, that's great. But if this is as good as it gets, it's a pretty good life, you know? So these charts, I, I love Vedic astrology. I got, I got a book, Vedic astrology for beginners. And I read the first page. And I'm like, this is already Chinese. It's so complex and <laughs> interesting, but I've always thought it was like, you know, obviously you get into the occult and you get into the hermetic principles and all that stuff. And, you know, like what the, the, on the so above, so below, right? Mm-hmm. Like this kind of reflection or, you know, what's on the inside is on the outside. But also it's like the stars and what's happening down here very much you know coordinate with each other and they're almost like a reflection and that to me goes well what does that make where we are what are your thoughts on where we are um well what do you mean what do you mean where we are do you mean like spiritually do you or do, do you mean like physically like i'm not what, all of what it you- like what what is this like that's that's the the million dollar question what is all this like where like like, you know, whether, whether you're a flat earther or a simulation guy or a, a realm of consequences, like, what are your thoughts on all that? Because I'm open-minded to any of it. Yeah, I mean, gosh, that's that's such a broad and deep question. Um, one thing I would say is just to comment on, like, why I think astrology and, like, really all divination works is that the universe is both holographic, meaning that every part contains every other part, uh, and or it's fractal right so it's all like uh, everything is contained within itself and everything is kind of a reflection of everything else which seems strange because there's so much differentiation but in this case that as above as so below principle means that you're looking at with a particular focus little chunk of the universe and within that you're seeing symbols and if you read those symbols right it's going to tell you about everything that's going on in a certain symbolic way and the ancients discovered that one of the most effective sort of like, you know how like if you zoom on something, it looks like nothing and then you zoom out and then you see a picture or or it can happen in reverse, right? So they found that a useful frame, like a useful uh, area to sort of zoom in on 
to do this kind of um, divination was the stars. I mean, I have thoughts beyond that, but I'm just explaining like it's something that I think your more science minded viewers might be like, huh, well, maybe there is a little something to that, you know? So the, the universe is fractal nature. So I can look up at the stars at the moment someone's born and see what the karmas are of their soul as they come into the world. And of course, that's where you're going to lose people who are more scientifically minded. But I would argue that we would have an explanation for almost all these very consistent esoteric and occult principles that have existed since ancient times if we took science in that direction. I also would not be surprised if the elites did do scientific research behind closed doors. We know they have to some degree with the CIA, right? With remote viewing and all kinds of crazy stuff and actually straight up magic. One thing they haven't released a lot about, which I find interesting as a practicing magician is ritual magic specifically. They talk about like group intent and how it can change things. If people have like group intent and they focus their mind on something, but they seem to shy away from talking about ritual magic or studying it or, or it's like deep classified kind of stuff that they've never, ever, ever released. That is also a possibility. Um, but so I think the universe is one way you could describe it is that it's the mind of God. I mean, this is what, this is what the ancient Vedic texts say is that, that all is Brahman, which is just this like ultimate consciousness and everything exists within it. And that explains the hermental or the hermetic principle of mentalism, which says that the universe is mental in nature and that our thoughts actually literally impact the, the universe because we have our own little sort of smaller human self. And then there's the great cosmic, you know, uh, consciousness and in the common surface layer is mind, the mind that we can interface with and the mind of God has a common surface, which is our mind. And therefore it's a two directional thing. It's we're both a, 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 a receiver. We're a transceiver. We're both a transponder and a receiver. And so like a lot of the thoughts we have just are actually what we're tuning into, kind of like a radio dial. But our thoughts also can end up changing reality to some degree. And the more of us that think in a certain direction, the more likely that becomes, especially if it's a smaller change. The bigger the change you try and influence, the, the more difficult that is to achieve. But this is why you see so much stuff. A lot of people talk about this revelation of the method and where they're doing these crazy like Super Bowl halftime shows or like the most obvious stunning. And I don't know how anybody could watch it and not go, wait a minute, is the 2012 Olympic Games opening ceremony? Have you yeah, seen that? Yeah, yeah. It's just absolutely insane. I mean, they have a coronavirus, like mm -hmm. the little spiky. TikTok nurse dancing. <laughs> that honestly, like of all the stuff, like every time I think about that, it just sends a shiver down my spine. I don't even fully understand what that's about, but I think there's some kind of like dark occult significance to that act that I haven't quite like, I don't understand the symbolism behind it, but I always find that particular thing chilling. Yeah. The dancing nurses. I mean, it's insane. And then the giant skeleton, like wizard guy with a bone wand exploding once like viewers, if you haven't checked that shit out, check it out. And so why might they do something like that? Well, what they did is they put all this symbolic information into the subconscious of everyone who viewed that. And most people being not magically savvy or esoterically savvy, they just were like, 
that was trippy. I'm definitely going to remember that, but I'm not really going to think about it. Yeah. And that's exactly what they want. Hey, guys, real quick, I want to tell you that this episode is brought to you by the free five-day CBDC opt-out challenge. Have you guys heard of CBDCs? That's central bank digital currencies. Listen, central banks worldwide, like the Federal Reserve, are developing CBDCs that will give them absolute power over the economy and your finances. CBDCs will allow central banks and governments to spy on all of your transactions, program your money so you can only buy certain things, freeze your funds, fine you tax you directly, and shut you out of the economy. Remember when the Canadian government froze the bank accounts of citizens who donated to the Freedom Convoy? That's just a glimpse of what they'll do with CBDCs. But you have the power to break free from this system before it's even here. Want to know how? Go to cbdcoptout.com. There you'll be able to join the free five-day CBDC opt-out challenge going live February 6th to the 10th. This will give you a proven step-by-step -step method for buying and selling goods and services outside of the central bank financial system using alternative currencies, free markets, and powerful communities of freedom-loving people. If you want to know how to break free from CBDCs, go to cbdcoptout.com and join the free five-day CBDC opt-out challenge that runs from February 6th to February 10th. Hey, guys, I want to tell you about our friends at Factor. I love Factor. I use Factor. And, man, I love their meals. Let me tell you about Factor. This new year, you've got goals, and Factor is here to help you achieve each and every one of them. Save time and have the energy you need to tackle everything on your to-do list with Factor's ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. Get Factor and not only skip the trip to the grocery store, but skip the chopping, prepping, and cleaning up too. Factor's fresh, never frozen meals are ready in just two minutes, so all you have to do is heat and enjoy. I've been on the low-carb kick lately, and no matter your lifestyle, Factor has the meals to help you live it to the fullest with keto, calorie-smart, vegan, veggie, and Protein Plus meals on the menu each week. They're prepared by chefs and approved by dietitians, and each meal has all the ingredients you need to feel satisfied all day long. Looking to cut back on takeout? Get Factor instead. Not only is Factor cheaper than takeout, but the meals are ready in just two minutes. That's way faster than restaurant delivery. Get Factor and enjoy clean eating without the hassle in 2023. You just choose your meals and enjoy fresh, flavor-packed food delivered to your door. It's ready in just two minutes, and there's really no easier way to eat well. Achieve and maintain your goals this year with Factor. Get America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit and start saving time, eating well, and living your best year ever. Head to factor75.com slash tinfoil60, that's six zero, and use the code tinfoil60 to get 60% off your first box. That's code tinfoil60 at factor75.com slash tinfoil60 to get 60% off your first box. I, everything is magic to me. Like, is everything conspiracies? 100%. Is everything magic to me? 100%. And I would, I could talk to you about vague astrology forever. And maybe we'll do it on another show sometime because I'm yeah. really excited to talk to you about, um, the Venetian black nobility. I, I watched your, um, I, I don't know if you can see it, but I watched your thing and I bought the, the, uh, 
financial vipers of Venice book. Uh, and I'm loving it. It's very deep, very spiritual. It's a, you got to really digest a whole bunch of stuff. But I want to start at the beginning because there's so much going on out there. And I could just talk to you forever, but I feel like we should just get a start, uh, a starting point. And you brought up Tyre. Is it a city Tyre tried? In- Tyre, yeah. Okay. So where do you want to start? And then let's just go for it because this is my jam and this is how I see the world. Yeah. Okay, man. So, um, so Tyre, it was a city that was on the uh, coast of Lebanon on the Mediterranean. And it's, it's just, uh, I'm not sure the exact distance, but I want to say a couple hundred miles, maybe North of Jerusalem, maybe not even that much. It might even be like a hundred miles. You know, it's kind of hard to say because distances look different on maps, like in the U.S., like it's a little tiny distance is actually huge. And sometimes in the Middle East or other places, it's, you know, it's the whole Mercator projection thing. Anyway, I'm not sure the exact distance, but it's pretty close by enough that there was constant uh, interaction between the Jews, uh, like the biblical Jews. Right. So like uh, King Solomon, uh, King David, stuff like that. There was constant interaction between them. They were also known as the Canaanites. They were also known as the Phoenicians, as in the phonetic spelling, right? That kind of uh, thing. So um, the Phoenicians, there's evidence, like even made it to the Americas. They went all over the place. It's these same people. They were master seafarers. And in the city of Tyre, where they settled down, um, we know that they their linguistic group, like there's linguistic markers, uh, in the language of the the people spoke in Tyre, which I forget exactly what it is. It's not like Tyre, it's something else, but it's related to Akkadian. So Akkadia is uh, before Babylon. It goes Sumeria, Akkadia, Babylon, and then Tyre. And I believe that the, the wealthy families in Tyre came from at a minimum back to Bab- or back to Akkadia, which means Babylon, and that's critical. And then possibly all the way back to Sumeria. That I haven't been able to take it that far back, but they seem to go at least back to Acadia based in those linguistic pieces and um, therefore for sure Babylon. And so they settled on this coast and they started, um, they discovered that if you crush up this, uh, I forget what it's called, like murex or I think it's called a murex. It's a little type, type of snail. And if you crush up like a thousand or 10,000 of these things, you can get one gram of this royal purple dye. And we take for granted all the colors that we have behind Mm -hmm. us, all the synthetics from advanced chemistry. But people, you got to understand that in ancient times, having a really strong, for example, purple, you almost never saw it in nature. It really stuck out. And it must have been really like staggering when you saw it in clothes. Like the first time purple clothes, it must have been like, you know what I mean? Mm. And the reason it's called royal purple is because it's, so fucking expensive that basically only royalty could afford it because of the amount of gathering of all these and crushing them and it just took for it took a lot of effort and it was a very closely guarded secret kind of like silkworms much later so they settle up there and they make a quick um great i have friends of mine on the internet my maria uh the human vibrations they talk about how important the color purple is now today like a lot of power people wear purple as a sign of like uh, almost like a symbol or a code out there to let you know that there's something else going on here than what's being presented. 
Yeah, I mean, there was that whole thing where Hillary uh, wore that purple, that very, actually, it's probably the best I've ever seen her dress. Not that that's a high bar to casually stroll over, but she was really sharply dressed in her concession speech to Trump, concession speech, where she also was, like, there were people who were theorizing that they were going to go to, like, a Soros-style color revolution, and that it would be called the purple revolution, was what people were saying, and and Bill, and Bill was wearing a purple tie and basically like what i took that particular symbol to mean is like that the malachian we'll get into that the malachian elites of both the dems and the republicans were coming together and were saying we're going to fuck trump and that's what that purple was was that blending of the red and blue that's just what i take that specific love it love it yeah and so um let's see what we're saying yeah so so they, they they made a fortune off this crushing of the shells and i haven't been able to find a lot of evidence that they were in banking entire but they definitely there was definitely banking in babylon without question and that's where they really figured out that you could do this thing where you could trick people into basically assigning value beyond what was actually there in money and that um, you could really capture people's minds with it and the just the psychological power. And I mean, there's more to it than that, but it's it's commonly called Babylonian money magic. And yeah. it's also things like interest, like lending at interest, things like that are kind of discovered in this general time period, although it doesn't really um, go out until much later. The Venetians really, interestingly enough, uh, mastered the whole lending at interest thing. But um, we're, we're not to that point yet. So these, these wealthy people that seem to be Babylonian royalty, they set up shop in Tyre. And over time, um, they start to worship this god called Haman Baal or Baal Hamon, which the Jews called Moloch. Now, Moloch is a very specific Canaanite deity, and it requires both child sacrifice and the Epstein-style harm of children. That seems to be absolutely built into the worship of this being in a way that's um i don't want to say it's unique but it is uh, very much a fingerprint of this being in particular the ritualized sexual harm of children is critical to this being like it's something that literally it requires and in fact if you don't mind i'm going to do a little side story here that's related to that point when i uh, when I first sort of started my spiritual journey or rather early on, I went to a rainbow gathering in Utah and God, I want to say it was 2004. And, uh, I had this crazy initiatory shamanic dream. And at the end of it, Archangel Michael came to me. And the next, the next day I had a person say, Hey, did you notice Archangel Michael's flying over this part of the camp? And I was like, what? Whoa, that's crazy. Think about this dream I had, right? Where Archangel Michael saved me. And then I was walking along and someone said, brother, I want to tell you, you have Archangel Michael walking behind you. And I was like, that's kind of weird. And I went a little bit further into this rainbow gathering and I see this man who's carving a totem pole and he looks up at me and this guy looks like Gandalf and he's actually um, half Inuit, right? Like a, a Eskimo and half um, Siberian, like from someplace in, I want to say Kamchatka, I think it's called, but the extreme northeastern Siberia. And so he's from a, a literal shamanic line. A lot of people talk about shamans and they call like someone from South America, wherever shaman. They're not actually, technically the only real shamans are in Siberia. Uh, there's a lot of people who are uh, whatever kind of medicine doctors or whatever spiritual figures but a shaman really specifically means the people uh, in the Siberian steppes um, who were who were the holy men. 
And so this guy had been trained in that lineage and he was carving, he was carving his totem pole. And I was just totally tracked. This guy and went right up to him and he looked up at me and he goes, Oh, you have Archangel Michael behind you and you're going to start training with me. And I was like, what? And wait, what? You know what I mean? Like, because I wasn't like a muggle at this point in time, but like, this is early in my journey. And to have this like three people in a row after I have this crazy shamanic initiation journey, and then I meet an actual literal shaman and he, um, he, he started teaching me various things. And one of the first most early things he said to me, and he was really emphatic about this and was like, look me dead in the eye when I tell you this. He said, the number one thing we as white magicians or light workers or whatever, I don't really like that term, light workers, white magicians must do shamans. We need to stamp out pedophilia above all else. Nothing else matters. He basically said, nothing else matters. And I was like, I was like, hey, I totally agree. Like, we need to get rid of it. And he's like, no, you don't understand. Let me explain why. And he said a few thousand years ago, and I'll just say it was 6,000 years ago, and I'll just say it was at the beginning of the descending Kali Yuga, or right around that time, there arose Moloch worship in the Near East. It may have not been called Moloch initially. It's the, also the lower aspect of Saturn. But this arose, and according to him, according to the shaman and what he had been told by someone actually in um, Nepal, this Nepalese lama that he trained with, he had been told that basically dark magicians approximately 6,000 years ago were told there's a greater power that you haven't yet worked with. They were already working with demons of various kinds, and some demon came to these black magicians and said there's a greater power. And they were like, what could be greater than what we're already working with? And they're, and they're like, well, in order for you to even conceive of it, first you have to start harming children. And you have wow. to do it a way. And it opened a portal to like the lowest part of the astral realm. And then oh. Moloch was able to reach in and touch the world. And that's why everywhere you turn, one of the hallmarks and things to look for is harm of children. And where do you see it popping up? You shouldn't necessarily think that that contends the entirety of an organization because there's someone in it who has that. But if you start seeing it a lot, you can know that that organization is largely dominated by this, by this entity, by this uh, this demon god, basically, um, which is Moloch. And so, you said that Moloch goes all the way back to um, who's the god of time? Um, Kronos. Kronos. Well, Kronos is the Greek name for Saturn. And so it's it's the same thing. I mean, that's the thing. It's like Moloch worship. And that's just a name that the Jews use. I mean, it's not even the name that the Tyrians use themselves. They just basically called this being the Lord. Right. That's what uh, Baal means. Uh, and then I, I forget exactly what Hamon or Ammon means, but it just basically means like the Lord. Um, and so, so that being has been worshipped probably many times over human history, probably with different names. I mean, we have at least three names that we call this being, right? Haman Baal, Moloch, Kronos, and Kronos and Saturn. I mean, so if we have four names, I would also argue that when people are saying Satan, there's a lot of confusion about this. Satan simply means the adversary. And the clear and obvious adversary of the Jewish people at the time when, when this word was coined was Moloch. 
It's Moloch. The problem is, is that when everyone thinks of like, let me ask you, what do you think of, just tell me what image comes to your mind when you think of Satan? What do you think Satan looks like? Just, it, there's not a wrong answer. I'm trying to point something out. What do you think it looks well, like? I mean, like red dude with big horns and long fingernails. And he's just, yeah, black. Both feet, right? Yeah, yeah. feet, all that stuff. The tail. Right. And so that's actually... That's actually an image of uh, Kernonos, which is the uh, Celtic god of the hunt. Um, and it's sort of like talking about how there's an intimate connection between man and nature, because like from the waist down, there's these mm. impulses of like the goat and horniness. It's also pan in Greek culture, right? It's essentially the same being. Um, but the Vatican wanted to wipe out the worship of Kernonos in particular, because that was arguably the most popular and powerful Celtic deity. So they started, when they'd say Satan, they started using this image of the Celtic God. But I assure you that in the Bible, they were not talking about the Celtic God, Kernanos. They were talking about Moloch, which is very different. And I just say that because there's a lot of confusion on this subject. And part of it is, is because there's a lot of, you know, when you suddenly realize Gosh, it sure looks like evil Satanist warlocks run the planet. Yikes. Like a lot of people are going to go, well, what the fuck do I do about that? When they realize how overwhelming and pervasive and powerful it is. And for a lot of people, they're like, I'm going to go back to what I was taught when I was a kid or what my grandma was always trying to tell me. And they become Muslim or they become Jewish or they become like born again Christian or whatever. Right. The last one being especially very common in the U.S., and there's a lot of real dichotomy thinking. You're either you go to my church, specifically my church, or else you're bad, you're misled, and da 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 da. And there's lots of factionalism even within Christianity. And so people get sloppy and they start saying, oh, Satan is Lucifer, is the same as Baphomet, is the same as Moloch. Those are three entirely different, couldn't be more different deities that are all very distinct have very distinct personalities and very distinct, I would say, agendas to them. And they exist both independent, in my opinion, they exist both independently as in they exist the same way we do and have self-awareness and are an intelligence. But another way you can put it is they are also um, uh, an aspect of the human mind, right? These different beings are sort of aspects of the human mind that we're then externalizing as this God. I think both are actually true, but you can use that second frame if you prefer. And so even within that frame, Baphomet, which is that goat that everybody shows, you know, the goat man slash woman. If you look at that symbol carefully, it's a merger of opposites. It's man and beast. It's got, you know, up and down, right? That the the pointing thing. Yeah. It's got um, it's got breasts and it's got a phallus, right? It's got night and it's got day. And so it's a merger of opposites. And that God is actually a God of alchemy. And it's the zero point God in a way. I mean, it's at the absolute point where all opposites merge and then they do into something else. So then people say, well, but I see this Baphomet character all the time associated with evil act. You're not wrong. The thing is, Baphomet's totally neutral. So you can appeal to that God, regardless of what your agenda is. And the God's like, oh, you come seeking transmutation or transformation? Let's do it. 
And so if you're evil and you want to make the world more evil, you can come to Baphomet and try and transform the world through Baphomet into evil, or you can transform the world through Baphomet into good. It depends on the intents of the person. Likewise, Lucifer is not the same as Moloch at all, at all. They do have some crossover. In fact, I have this... Um, diagram have, have i sent you that me i can send it to you in chat and you guys when you guys can put it up uh, there's a there's a, a a diagram i like to use to kind of show this hey, as you're doing that real quick let me say something so oh. uh, this is where we get into some interesting stuff because i love these conversations there's mm -hmm. a lot of you out here that might be listening and you have your beliefs and your religions and this show's all about you loving you and you loving and believe whatever makes you be a, a a better person and treat your fellow men well. We just have conversations here. And I love these conversations because I know that what is up is really down in our society. And they've demonized us and they don't want us to know how special we are or what this realm is and all these stuff. So I just want you guys to know that these are conversations, you know, and I don't even have to say this because you guys have been with me so long, but I just really want you to know, like, these are the conversations we like to have on the show because I think they're super important to have. And if you don't believe it or you don't see it that way, that's okay. It's just a, it's a fun conversation. And at the end of the day, take what you like, leave what you don't, and and just be a good person, and love people, and that's what the show's all about. So I just want to get that out. We're not we're not trying to push anything. We're having a really great conversation because. There, everything has been flipped. Is everything a conspiracy? Yes, everything is a conspiracy. And when you start to understand that, you can have much better conversations. And again, you can have conversations on things that maybe you don't necessarily believe 100%, but just be, oh, okay, let me hear what he has to say. Because Ian's very, very well versed in a lot of stuff. And that's why I'm excited to have him on. So I just wanted to get that out. Everybody comes in with what they believe. You're more welcome to leave with the same feeling right there. You just let's have a fun conversation that you can't have everywhere else. So go on, Ian. Sorry. Oh, beautiful. No, Sam, I agree all the time. I, I all the time tell people, you know, this is, this is, I've, I've put a lot, a lot of time and effort uh, into researching and coming to the conclusions I've come to. And they're also open-ended. I don't feel like they're final. I don't feel like they're definitive. And I think that any time that you, I think it was Robert Anton Wilson said, uh, certainty is the death of reason. And uh, I think you got to be real careful not to be too certain about anything. And uh, that's kind of, you know, something that I try and apply all the time on my channel too, for people to take what resonates and leave the rest. Cause you know, I'm not trying to uh, convert anyone. I'm trying to just explain what I've discovered and hopefully it's helpful to people. They're back. Let me tell you about our good friends at Manscaped, everyone. Breaking news, everybody. Manscaped now sells beard products. That's right. They are once again revolutionizing men's grooming with the brand new Beard Hedger Pro Kit. From a beard trim to a fresh shave, the technology behind the Beard Hedger Pro Kit allows you to shape your signature beard look. Now you can finally use Manscaped products to make your drapes match your carpet by going to manscaped.com and using the code TINFOIL 
for 20% off and free shipping. It's time to tame your mane. Nobody likes a weird beard, dude. So say goodbye to all your stubble trouble with Manscaped's Pro Beard Kit. I just got the Beard Hedger Pro Kit and the trimmer is incredible. I was a little sheepish using it on my facial hair because there's not a ton, but I'm never going back. It's got so many adjustments, 20 hair cutting lengths. It's incredible, all with one guard. That's right, I'm talking about the Beard Hedger. This thing is a juggernaut for fixing faces. First off, it's cordless. It has a rotary wheel that, like I said, gives you 20 hair cutting links, all with a single guard, so no more messy drawers full of extra add-ons. That's right, face grooming doesn't need to be that hard. You can get 20 beard links and just one guard. Plus, it's waterproof, so you can shave in the shower and avoid all the hair in the sink, and maybe your wife or girlfriend won't kill you. The titanium-coated T-blade is tough on hair but smooth on your face. The Pro Kit doesn't end there, though. They have also created four dermatologist-tested formulations for your post-trim care. First, there's the beard shampoo and conditioner because you need to remember that your hair is different. Your beard hair is more coarse and easier to damage than the hair on your head. That's why this kit has shampoo and conditioner specifically designed to moisturize, reduce ingrown hairs, and replace the natural oils in your beard and promote beard health. Next, the kit has Manscaped's beard oil. This is an essential piece for your main facial accessory. No guy wants a dry and brittle beard, and the oil helps with that. And you cap it all off with the beard bomb. It's a pomade that shapes, styles, and moisturizes. The Pro Beard Kit also comes with three gifts, a cool beard brush, a comb, and scissors to ensure that your beard is ready to impress. So get 20% off and free shipping with the code TINFOIL at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com using the code TINFOIL. Manscaped Beard Hedger. One stroke, one guard, 20 lengths. If you look at this chart, this is kind of like, to a certain extent, this is both these deities and their agendas. And it also represents a state of consciousness that we can be in as humans and that we kind of move through actually like either in the stages or based on our mood or experience or whatever. And so I'm just going to start at the bottom. And I don't know if you can see like this kind of got cut off here, but it says Epstein style harm of children and physical torture. So this is in this Malachian sphere. So this is like kind of the lowest vibration, like the lowest uh, aspect of, of human behavior, really, in my opinion. Um, and, and it's also very like, especially that Epstein style harm of children, it's really is kind of unique to this deity. And it really does mark like the lowest ebb of humanity and us being at the lowest. And, uh, we didn't, we haven't really got into it yet, but we're also in something, we're at the tail end of something called the Kali Yuga, which is where we're exactly this kind of situation to where everything is, you know, up is down, down is up, black is white, white is black. Everything's inverted. Um, everything's very dualistic, right? There's like a lot of chaotic duality. Um, there's this, uh, there's a lot of people who are filled with fear and sadness and they become uh, obsessed with dead materialism. I think dead materialism is a very, uh, I'm not trying to offend anyone. I'll just be honest. I think dead materialism is a very dangerous ideology because- What is dead materialism? Yeah, so dead materialism is just believing we're just meat and then we're dead. It's a black mm. screen. That's it. Dangerous. There's no spirit. There's no deeper aspect to things. It's one and done. You know, YOLO, baby. Like, get, get, <laughs> right? And so, what does that do when you think it's one and done? 
and you think there is no, you know, I don't believe in like some old dude in the sky, right? Sitting down there, you know, watching and whatever. Uh, but I do believe in in karma and that your actions do matter and that they actually extend beyond this lifetime. And that actually, I also personally, and again, you don't have to believe in reincarnation, but when you believe in this dead materialism, you're, you're born, you live your life, you die, that's it. It lets you have that mentality of, A, I'm just going to get mine. Who cares who I screw over? Why wouldn't I? It would be insane not to, right? It'd be insane to do anything other than just be all about me. It makes you very afraid of death. You're terrified of death. And so if someone threatens you with death, you're going to be like, oh, oh, okay. You know, like if someone has a lot of power and they threaten you with death, it um, it makes you think that you basically anything you can get away with is really, you know, why not? Why wouldn't you? Yes. Right. Yes. As long yeah. as you're not caught, it doesn't matter, you know, and then people can justify, oh, well, I cut that guy off in traffic, but I really needed to get to that place or whatever it is. Like you can constantly justify whatever kind of selfish actions. Cause why not? I'm not connected to anyone else. No, you know, we're all just totally disparate, you know? And so it, it, it really, uh, it, I, I just, I think it's a dangerous ideology. I see all the time people try and say that it's the highest thing of humanity. And, Oh, if we just had science and no religion, everything would be solved. And I'm like, Mao Zedong and frickin' Joseph Stalin would like to disagree, and so would Pol Pot. I totally agree. You know? And I also find out that people who are atheists tend to have secrets, like <laughs> real secrets, and you don't want to think there's consequences for those secrets. Mm. And, you know, I, I just like there's always something hidden behind that. And I find that people that believe in God and have a connection with God, and listen, I mean, I'm a dick joke comic. I'm not going to sit here and tell anybody <laughs> what what God is. I think God is beyond our understanding in these meat suits. But when I when I do higher vibrational stuff, I feel better about myself. I feel higher frequency people come in my life when I practice law of attraction, when I practice law of abundance, and I help others and I give it away. I feel good things come to me. And that's kind of where I live right now. And I just see a lot of people. You know what? It's so funny. It's like, and I, then we'll get back to this, but I have so many successful friends like that are beyond successful. Like they, they we live in Hollywood. These people moved there to be in Hollywood and they got all the cash and prizes and they're miserable. Mm. And because it's like, they kind of had this dead materialism view of it. I love that term. It's such a quality term. And they kind of had this view of whatever it takes and nothing really matters. And I got to get mine and they got to where they wanted to. And it was just still didn't fill them with light and love. And I just, yeah, I think it's a very important point. I totally agree with you on dead materialism. But uh, so it's so about, about being an uh, atheist. Mm -hmm. I grew up Catholic, and at one point I was atheist. I'm more mm -hmm. spiritual now. But the reason you become atheist is because you don't want to pick the wrong religion. As stupid as that sounds, I remember being a little kid, and I, and I learned, I'm like, well, what if I pick the wrong one? And mom's like, we picked the right one. Don't worry about it. But I do remember being like, what if you pick the wrong one? And it's like a joke everyone's done. Like, it's it's a hacky joke. But what like that's, that's, when, that's where you become atheist, because you don't want to get the wrong one. But you can be spiritual without picking a religion. Yeah, yeah maybe. Maybe. I don't know. I just find atheists just 
I, I don't know, man, just I, I'm really into downloads and reading energy. And that's the energy I get. It's like you got a secret and you don't want to deal with it. And you don't want to think there's repercussions for your actions. But go back to what you were talking about. Sorry to cut you off. Oh, no, no worries whatsoever. Um, yeah, no, I, I hear you like choosing choosing the wrong religion. Um, you know, I'm not uh, I'm not religious uh, per se. I kind of just have my own spiritual practice working with the angels, um, just meditation. Um, I try and do good works quite often, uh, working on my own face and my own shadow. So I'm not pitching uh, any religion. And there's plenty of religions that obviously have their faults. I will say um so this isn't going on YouTube, right? I'm just trying to think. No, how no. to be that. Okay, so like dry, but we're not gonna do it. <laughs> I do notice that. I do notice that that a lot of people who are religious seem to be on the side of uh, fighting against this global tyrannical bullshit, almost regardless of their religion. And I notice almost all atheists are lined up behind the Davos agenda, yeah. technocracy, <laughs> and you know, transhumanism and all that stuff. And it makes sense, right? Because these people are saying they're dangling the ultimate carrot. Oh, you can upload your consciousness into the cloud and live forever, or we'll figure out how to clone your body and you can upload your consciousness into your clone. Like there's all this like whiff of that. You're going to uh, get immortality, you know, which is funny because that's what religions offer too, in a very different way. And so really to me, scientism is, its own religion at this point. I mean, the evidence is all around us, but um, we've totally digressed off. Yeah, the it's possibility, but it's, we're it's, going it's, back to tired antecedently because I think it's very important. And I, I yeah. just want to say it's because, you know, on your video, you were talking about how it was the most fortified city. Yeah. And the siege was so huge and it was done by Alexander the great. And yeah. like, to me, that says something to me because I've always been like, why does the power elites have such problems with Russia? They've hated Russia forever. And I go, does this go all the way back to this battle and this attack? And we just see it over and over again with even like the Kazarian mafia. I don't know if you're into that as well, but the, you know, Kazarians versus Tatarians or Russia. I, I, I just find it interesting. So when you brought that up, it really resonated with me. So yeah, I'd like to, we'll get back to that. So yeah. It's interesting because I mean, um, some people, this is contentious too, but a lot of people say that Alexander the great was uh, of Scythian descent. Right. And that basically most people who have light colored eyes uh, are of Scythian descent originally. Um, what is and Scythian? Scythian. There are people who actually weirdly are where like Kazaria would later grow. Like it's right near the Caucasus Mountains and right like north and east of the Black Sea. There was waves of uh, there was waves of emigration out of there. They talk about. Um, I mean, this used to be called like the Indo-Aryan language group, and then thank you Hitler oh. and the Nazis. Like now, Aryan is forever seen as this. Uh, evil racist thing when it's nothing to do with it and people were talking about Aryans long before anyone knew what national socialism was it was a term that had been used for a, I feel like at least a century prior to Hitler and plus Scythians are mentioned by like Plutarch and like you know super old school uh historians so I mean like there isn't really any 
debate about whether or not they existed. The debate is like where they were and so forth. But there is some evidence that Alexander the Great and the ancient Greeks were Scythian and actually were uh, fair-haired and light-eyed, weirdly, and that modern Greeks are actually uh, people who came in like a later uh, migration. Anyways, that just because you said you said Russians who are the same Scythian stock and that thing between the Kazarians. And so I was trying to tie together what you're saying. Yeah, I love it. I I wonder about that. That is interesting. But so, yeah, Alexander uh, took the city of Tyre in around, I want to say 323 BC, there around, something around that. Um, He took Tyre in what's roundly considered like the greatest siege ever. Um, it, 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 they had like, it was out on an island and they had all these um, barriers just under the water that would prevent boats from coming through, except for very narrow channels that they could then close. So they had like underwater uh, boulder barriers, so you couldn't bring ships in. So you really couldn't come into it except for very super narrow area, and then they would just hammer that area with like, you know, whatever kind of anti-ship oh, stuff. And Alexander built bridges all the way over and also was like attacking ships and just all this crazy shit. And um, you know, there, there's plenty of great, great material out there on it. If you want to go into that, uh, listener, like I, it's really fascinating if you're in, interested in history. Um, but so Tyre crushes, or I mean, uh, Alexander crushes Tyre. And so Tyre also had a colony I, that I think pre- predates Alexander, which was in Carthage. And Carthage is famous for the Punic Wars of like the general Hannibal, right? Uh, with the elephants and trying that he tried to go in and take Rome. In Carthage, they openly worshipped, again, Moloch, Hemon Baal, right? Um, And so when Tyre was crushed, some of the elites fled to Carthage, which then Carthage got crushed by the Romans. And at that point, elites from both went up to Rome. And they became became basically um, senatorial families in uh, the Roman Republic. Uh, And then continued to be senatorial families when the Roman Empire started. And it seems might have pushed uh, Rome in that direction. I haven't been able really to to prove that, but some of them, like the Maximus clan, uh, would later become uh, one of these major uh, Black nobility families, the Arsini. And so they, they, they gained incredible, unimaginable amounts of wealth during their run in Rome. And then as Rome was declining, they moved to Venice. And then in Venice is where they really, really, really sort of became who they are now, um, which is, I believe, the people who run the world. And these people were doing banking when Kazaria, which you mentioned, was still uh, not even a conate yet. It was still like various different tribes uh, of people. And it was long before they uh, mass converted to uh, Judaism. By the way, that's the subject of Kazaria is extremely, extremely contentious. It seemed wow. pretty crystal clear to me for quite a while when I learned about it. And I noticed that all the real uh, strident objections to it are almost always uh, state of Israel aff- affiliated and or Israeli scholars. And you might say, oh, well, are you going to be, uh, you know, like telling people what their own history is and stuff? And it's like, well, yeah, but no, sorry. Like, you don't get to say that. And also, like, we, we have records from a lot of different places that point towards this. And it just makes a lot of sense because we know that there was the third uprising against the Roman Empire. And the first time the Jews rose up against the Roman Empire, right, and reasonable, right, they had been evaded. They r- rise up, Romans smash it down. They said, don't you do that again. 
and they killed a bunch of them for it. There was a second uprising and the Romans, they killed a bunch of them and they said, if you do that again, we'll wipe you out. They tried a third time to rebel against Rome and the line of David was, unless people escaped, which I think some of them did, but the line of David was basically annihilated and huge amounts of Jews were killed. It would some people sometimes refer to as the first Holocaust. It was terrible. I mean, it was terrible and like, Rome just really shattered uh, the Jewish people like through just genocide, really. I mean, it was genocide. And so it seems that the majority of Jewish people, and I do want to say real quick, my son is of Jewish descent. Um, you know, family members who, who I love very deeply are of Jewish descent. And so I do have skin in the game when I see all this. And that's why I try and thread the needle of... <laughs> The, the most amount of hate I get, Sam, is for this exact subject, because Israelis say I'm anti-Semitic with talking about the Khazarian and black nobility. And, you know, Jew, some Jewish people say that and some people who are, I guess, sympathetic to Jewish people or whatever say that. And then I have a lot of uh, 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 true anti-Semitic people or true Jew, Jewish hating people saying that I'm some goy, I'm a race traitor. Why am I trying to obfuscate the obvious Jewish hand? Blah, yeah, blah, blah. dude, I get it all the time. Oh, I hate it all so much. The time. It drives me bonkers. And so the reason that I'm bringing up Kazaria with the Venetian bankers is my point is the Venetian bankers were really doing banking to some degree, those families, all the way back to Babylon. But when they get to Venice, they started bankrupting all the proto-European kingdoms just over and over and over and over and over again. And they did all kinds of nasty stuff, including centuries later, like they seem to have spread the Black Plague several times. Not all of them, but they seem to have spread and intensified it, and made it worse, throwing like plague bodies into or dropping them into wells of enemies uh, in enemy cities and stuff like that. I mean... Almost all the nastiest stuff of the modern world was developed and borderline perfected by what's called the Council of Ten in Venice, which was this national security apparatus that the Venetians developed. And is really kind of like, I don't want to say the world's first intelligence agency, but because clearly stuff existed along those lines prior to that. But I would say the way modern intelligence is run uh, the way it's like a real merger of the capitalist venture of whatever state the intelligence op uh, operation is running. And it's also it's, um, you know, it's also like it, it's quasi governmental and just like all the kind of stuff that we think about when we think of modern intelligence agencies, really the Council of Ten in Venice was where almost all of that stuff was perfected. Well, real I mean, quick also is. You know, I mean, if you're asking me, Ian, I think all these intelligent agencies are Jesuit ran and go all the way back to the Vatican. And then now we're getting to the black nobility, black pope, gray pope, white pope. Uh, I mean, there's so many connections between the Vatican and, and these intelligence agencies. How many were started by uh, Nazis? Where the Nazis go? They ran to the Vatican to hide the so they could get down to Latin America. I mean, you just, how many how many of these organized crime organizations, uh, especially yep. in the West, have Catholic backgrounds, Italians, Latins, uh, you go through, they, they're all Irish, all these mobs are all, and then you look at all the work that these, that these mafias do, 
with with intelligence services and yep. the connections between you know the the Nazis came here and basically set up the CIA. We had the OSS, but then they came in and set up the CIA. So I mean, I, and you know they want to act like Israel and MI six and CIA are all different, but. I think they're all just the same organization with different names, depending on the region. And, you know, they work in places the other ones can't and they all work together. And they're all they all, in my humble opinion, are the basically law enforcement for the elites, which to me leads to the black nobility, if you're asking me. Yeah, um, I, I think that's very well put. There is a lot of evidence that uh, intelligence agencies have tremendous crossover and overlap. Certainly, there's no question that the five eyes intelligence you know which is all the english-speaking countries like they're all very close to one you know hydra kind of you know thing i mean it has multiple different heads that all have like their same agendas but it's really that there is a singular body of like the like the anglo-american whatever empire you know and and there is evidence that even during the cold war that there was stuff going on between like the cia and kgb were having like you know, secret conferences, there's lots of rumors about meeting beneath the ice caps and submarines and crazy shit like that uh, from the 60s, 70s and 80s. I mean, there's a lot of there is a lot of evidence that uh, there was extreme uh, working between like the KGB and CIA and and considering that the CIA was Nazis and the KGB is the Marxist Bolsheviks who were propped up by the city of London and wall street yet again. And that's where, who funded them, you know, Justin, that's also who propped up and funded the Nazis. So, I mean, you start to, yeah, you start to wonder like, where do the lines lie between these agencies or are they just one, you know, weird hyper organism like you're positing there. I think, I, I don't think that's an unreal reasonable conclusion to draw and then certainly there's something to what you're saying they absolutely communicate and coordinate with one another and sometimes one agency will do something that's completely not in the best interest of their country example kgb and the berlin wall coming down right and um just all the the looting of russia that happened directly after that was absolutely facilitated to some degree by the kgb although there were dissenters in it like putin right who were uh nationalists um, but like for sure, like there was a bunch of KGB that clearly were working with the CIA and they probably got handsomely rewarded for it. And they, to some degree, backstabbed the USSR, although the USSR being so horrible, I'm not against it. So I would say to, to some, I, I think there's a lot to what you're saying there. But getting back to the uh, Venetians, they were doing banking and they had all these intelligence agencies and a lot of the stuff that people think of, like, if you look at the protocols of the learned elders of zion right which is something that a lot of anti-semites like to point to and they go look how much of this shit has come true well yes they're not wrong about that and they're like well look how many of these people who are higher up in these organizations who've implemented this plan they're jewish right and you can't help but notice that there's extreme overrepresentation among billionaires the media and banking in particular and media and banking that's what Venice really perfected a long time ago. Again, maybe not the media part, but the banking part, they had perfected long before the Khazarians were doing any kind of banking of any kind, long before, you know, so-called uh, Jewish bankers. So then, so what's the connection? Why, how are those two related? 
So what I see is that when uh, the Russians, uh, proto-Russians, uh, crushed the Khazarians right around that almost exact same period of time, right? Oh, let me go back. Khazari, real quick, for people who don't know, is this kingdom along the or Khanate along the Black Sea, and around 600 or so AD. And this is the super contentious part, but we have source documents uh, from the Al Almohad Empire uh, on the. Uh, on the Spanish peninsula, they were very favorable and friendly to rabbis. And there were um, like the, Savar the Sephardic and um, uh, what's the what's the group of the Jewish people that went to the anyways, doesn't matter. There was a Jewish population and I forget the exact like name of this group that were like on the um, they were they were welcomed by the the, the Moorish people who were um, on the uh, Spanish peninsula. And like that was during the the. Uh, Muslim rule of that peninsula, and they were very friendly Jewish people. And there's a letter between um, uh, a very powerful person uh, there among the Almohads and Khazaria talking about the mass conver conversion to Judaism. And they wanted to talk to some of the learned rabbis who were there and have rabbis come up to teach them and so forth. So there's source documentation on this. It is a little threadbare, but there's enough, uh, there's enough to satisfy and it explains a lot of strange historical things of why there's this wave of Jewish immigration that seems to happen around this time, right, into Eastern and Southern Europe. So I find it very interesting that even if you talk about this, that some people yell anti-Semitism, because for me, I, I feel, this is Sam speaking, that you're literally saying it's not Jews. It's like this group that has right? posed as Jews. And people get really angry at that. And like, this is where we start getting into this thing where it's like, are facts mean? Uh, is the truth dangerous? And that's it. Like, again, my girlfriend in 20 years, Jewish, okay? I, I live with a Jew forever. Jews are wonderful, okay? But just like when you when people are like, oh, white people are the worst. You're like, oh, the white people I know are great. Are there white people in Hollywood doing, I mean, excuse me, in Washington, D.C., pulling some stuff? that yeah of course like yeah we gotta get away from labels and start judging individuals even though we're going to get into some of this a group think but i i feel like people need to stop internalizing everything like you're criticizing you we're not we're criticizing individuals and why or we're questioning individuals on why they act like this and what is the hive mind that comes with that yeah, absolutely. It's funny you mentioned hide mind because on that one um, on that one diagram I had it that that's a Malachian attribute hive mind thinking, right? Like no, not thinking for yourself, not having any critical thinking, or not having like enlightened self interest or enlightened self awareness while also knowing that there's all this difference around you. But so yeah, so the reason that this is important is, um, and the reason that this is so contentious is very simple: Israel. If the Ashkenazi Jews are indeed Khazarian, that undermines this insanely bullshit, ridiculous notion that the Jewish people had a right to go in there. They're there now, so we need to figure out like a negotiated settlement between the Palestinian people and the Jewish people. And I don't know what that looks like. That's way above my pay grade. Cool. The reason that Khazari is so hated is political. It's because no, it I'm with you. And listen, Ian, there's a lot of things going on here. First of all, you know, I'm Armenian. I have 1915 tattooed on, on my back. 
my great grandfather watched his entire family get like slaughtered and he got out of there. And we can get into that. But Israel never, ever condemned Turkey, ever, never condemned them. And I was like, how can you, a country that a Holocaust is such a big part of your identity, not condemn a, 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 a another Holocaust or a genocide? And then I've, I've, I've done studies. And if you go far back enough, a lot of Kazarians were Muslims and Turkey is Muslim. And then you get into this, and I'd love to hear your opinion, uh, this COVID stuff, right? Dude, the, these very high ups in Israel had all the data that these va this vaccine didn't work. And not only did it not work, it actually was dangerous. But what did they do? They made the Israeli people, Jewish people, give up to four shots. That says to me that this is not a group that is all moving as one. And then you have to ask, why are those people being praised on praying on these people? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah, no, there's there's a lot of very strange stuff. And it's funny because Hitler, you know, Hitler justified when when, when some were worried about the uh, the you know, the Holocaust, like against Jewish people, which, by the way, like I, I, I think people get caught up in things like numbers and the six million figure and all this other kind of stuff. Look, I've been to Birkenau and Auschwitz and you can just feel the energy there. I don't think there's any doubt that a lot of you know, a ridiculous amount of Jewish people, ridiculous amount of gypsy people, which is never talked about. That's actually the biggest group that was killed, the Roma people. Um, a lot of people who were disabled, a lot of people were killed. And then some people be like, oh, there was no gas chambers. Oh, well, they died in slave labor camps and said, wow, that's so much better. Thanks, guys, for, you know, <laughs> revealing this historical right, truth right, that's right, been so right. suppressed. And like, has it been ginned up and used in whatever? Sure. But Hitler, when he when he was justifying the Holocaust, some people in the high command are like, eh, that sounds like that could go badly if we try and do what you're suggesting. And he said, nobody cares about the Armenians. Nobody talks about it. Yeah. 100%. And so it's kind of it's kind of creepy, you know, and, uh, you know, uh, history is so much more complicated than they think like. A weird thing on the flip side is Netanyahu said something that I was certain was false, was that Hitler talked to the Grand Mufti of Palestine and that he was the one who suggested uh, killing all the Jews. And I was like, oh, that's got to be bullshit. It's true. What? It's true. Yep. It's true. Go and talk to uh, uh, the Mufti. And did you know that the original Islamic radical terrorists were... Uh, uh, trained and funded by the Nazis. And in fact, the Nazi international runs Islamic terror, it seems. This is what I'm saying. History gets so weird and convoluted yeah. and like yeah. insane. Yeah. And everyone wants this clear cut. Everybody thinks that apparently that the good guys are going to dress in white and the bad guys are going to come in in full black body armor and go, I am evil. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? nobody fucking does that bro nobody's ever appeared on the world stage and said hey, hey everybody i'm gonna ruin your life and kill so many people you can't even imagine and i'm gonna subject you to unimaginable horrors yeah, like, yeah. All right, yeah. nobody says that guys they come in and they say we're helping you we're protecting you there's bad guys out there oh no there's some terrible virus give us power Whatever it is, they always come in and say they're helping you, but only 100% of the time. They never announce themselves with the Imperial March from fucking John Williams 
saying that they're bad guys for Christ's sake. And this kind of gets into like manifestation and stuff like that. Like all, like, I really wonder sometimes Ian, if like what humanity would be like, if there wasn't this Molochian group of people uh, that constantly causing chaos and violence, like, you know, like the other day, just Antifa yeah. just showed up in Atlanta. And by the way, none of them live there. And they right. just all decide to show up at one time. No, there's a hidden hand there. The Gulf of Tonkin, uh, you know, um, Laurel Canyon with the music. There's always a hidden hand that is trying to cause chaos. And so I'm always like, you know, people want to blame Jews and all this stuff. I'm like, you're ridiculous, bro. Like that's low hanging fruit. It's too obvious. There's so many layers above that. They want you to believe it's them when they're just trying to live their life. Most people want to live their life, but we see when it's with Al Qaeda, ISIS, they're always funded by the same people. All these false flags always funded by the same people. And it's not an Abrahamic religion. They wear those religions as masks so they can walk around around, and we don't take them out. That's why they do it. It's way above that. It's way above any Abrahamic religion. Right. Absolutely. And and so like Kazari, just trying to bring it back, just to get this timeline out there, um, people should watch. Should should go watch the Venetian Black Nobility if they want to truncate. This is an amazing conversation. I'm loving it. But for people who want a little more, where, where I am able to at least be a little more coherent, like watch the Venetian Black Nobility thing on the White Lotus of Light channel. It's I get the timeline like much cleaner. Um, so Kazaria falls, and right around that exact same time, there's factionalism. That's another thing that drives me nuts. In addition to everyone having black and white thinking. Uh, people also like are like the elites are monolithic, lockstep, perfect, singular unit. And I'm like, you'd already have a brain chip in you and you'd be eating the bug paste and you'd never be able to leave your house. And things would be so much fucking worse than you can possibly imagine if these people already had total power at the elite level. They don't need power at our level. If they have total lockstep control at the elite level, th- then we would be fucked. Clearly, there's factionalism. And... We know this because these people all want to be king of the world, but there can be only one Highlander style. And so they always stab each other in the back. It's fucking inevitable because they all want to be holding that crown. And it's something I think is actually the most easy way to give someone a hopeful narrative that's reality and fact-based is that like, look, there's factionalism. There's schisms in the elite. They circle the wagons for us but they fight behind closed doors. And I tell you something, if, if and when they knock out the internet, they'll kill each other in mass. And it'll be it'll be like this. When it happens this time, it's not gonna be like some very lengthy conflict between the elites, although there could be regional wars. When the real elite fighting happens between the groups that I call the Luciferians and the Malachians, it's gonna be over real fucking quick. It's gonna you're be talking about- because of you're- advanced technology. And you're talking about when the internet goes out, that's that's when it's going to happen? Well, that's what I think, because think about it, right? Let's say that you're a group that's trying to, to take power. Um, you want to be able to control the narrative around it, right? And so in order to do that, you need to not really have any narratives floating around while you take care of business, while you round up these guys and whatever. And then you go, okay, we're going to blame the Malakians for COVID-19, we're going to blame the Malakians for the Epstein stuff. We're going to blame the Malakians for central banking. 
We're going to blame the Moluccans for all the fucking lies they've done around. Uh, I think I already said COVID, but like I can already see what they're going to lay out for people and what the groundwork is being laid for. And then they're going to have Nuremberg 2.0. And people say Nuremberg 2.0 and they're like, oh, it'll be all good guys like it was. If you go and watch the original Nuremberg trials and you actually understand that event, that was a fucking kangaroo court and a half. I'm not saying the Nazis weren't evil and that they shouldn't have been fucking hung from the neck. They absolutely should have, but that was a show trial all the way. And they also were doing all kinds of damage control and trying to keep under wraps lots of stuff, in particular the um, the thing where that guy, um, Rudolf Hess, he said some crazy shit about that everyone was under mind control. And they're like, whoa, cut the mic, cut the mic. And they pulled him right out of there. And then they're like, like, the whole Rudolf Hess thing is very, very strange. He's so, so interesting. He's one of the most interesting people of the war. It, that that guy's fascinating. And Borman is the other one. Ian, I'm gonna be honest with you. I don't think the Nazis lost World War II. I think Germany did, and I think oh, they, yeah, absolutely. I think they made deals and walked right over there. And that trial was just like oh, theater. And every that's why all these Nazis just chilled. In Latin America, and occasionally they grab one to make everybody happy. We're on Nazis, all these TV shows. Like, dude, there's whole villages down there. You're not doing anything. It's all theater. Yeah. Uh, 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 San Carlos de Barilocha, where all the presidents go. Did you know almost all of our presidents at some point go down to San Carlos de Barilocha in Argentina? To a, There's a particular uh, resort and a lake, and also nobody talks to us. Obama went. I don't know about Trump or Biden. I haven't seen on them yet, but uh, Obama went, uh, Bush went, Clinton went, Bush went. I mean, it's basically everyone for the past, like since the end of World War II, just about, they all went down there. Makes you wonder. I also, you know, wonder about stuff out in Antarctica. I mean, it just, this is what I mean. Like shit's so deep and convoluted and like strange when you get into the actual details, people want these like real cookie cutter things that are just so clean and and perfect and just that that's like where in the where is anything like that name one part of your life that's that way you know and very few people can you know because it, it's it's really just not <laughs> that's not how reality works so do you, um, do you think the, uh, the black nobility is Moroccan yes great 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 question because I, I want to real quick go back and say that um the Pope, and, and I'm going to totally answer that question. The Pope bans usury at interest. And why did they do that? They did that because there's this factionalism, and there's this infighting between elites. And the group that had control of the Vatican at that time wanted to cause problems for the group that was doing banking, right? The Venetians. So when I see the black nobility, um, I mean like various Italian blue bloods, but there really is like a distinct difference between the Venetian black nobility and some of these other nobility. But sometimes when I say the black nobility, I'll use it as an umbrella term. So it'll include like the people in Ferrara, the people in Florence, the people in Genoa. Right. But um, it, th- those are the factions is those different city states I just mentioned uh, kind of create some of the factions. And then there's splits even even within like groups like the Venetian black nobility, there's splits. And so the split happens where the Pope's like, I'm going to pull more power back into the Vatican and kind of fuck over the guys who are doing banking. And so what it said is if you're Christian, right, of course, they're not Christian. Like you say, this word that was master Malachi, and I can prove that here in a second. They said, OK, so we can't lend an interest. Uh, it's the death penalty because we're Christian wink, right? 
And so they go, well, what are we going to do? Well, they right, right around that time, there started to be a pretty steady trickle of uh, Khazarian refugees, Ashkenazi Jews coming in. So there was nothing in there that said Jews couldn't lend an interest to Christians. There was no ban against Jews or Muslims doing it. And Christians and Muslims were fighting pretty hardcore at that time. And it would have been considered unsavory to have a Muslim as your front man to do usury plus. Uh, Muslims outright ban lending at interest, whereas whereas uh, Christians, there's no, they, they kind of say it's unsavory, but they're not specific about it. In the Torah, it specifically says you cannot lend an interest to a fellow Jew, but you can to Goyim. You can with non-Jewish people, you can lend an interest. So the Venetian black nobility wanted to keep their whole banking empire rolling and continuing. So this is when all of a sudden the court Jews pop up boop, 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 all over Europe. And they're basically front men for the Venetian black nobility. And one of the ways you can know that is one of the things that the anti-Semites love to point out and that Jewish people lose their mind over when they hear, right? It's this whole reactionary thing they do is all these countries that Jewish people have been kicked out of historically. Well, it's true. That did happen. And there's like historical documentation. And it was always over the usury thing. And very often the kings or queens in that area would get a bunch of loans and be really deep in the hawk to the Jews. And then they go, oh, these Jews are naughty. They're bad. It's these damn Jews, right? And then they would, uh, you know, go and round them up and take their wealth. And this happened over and over and over again. And it seems that a lot of the uh, elite banking families would get the memo and would get out in the dead of the night, but not always. And always, like lots of Jewish wealth was being taken right back because there would be a purge and all their assets would be seized. Very similar to kind of like what happened in Nazi Germany, but in miniature, right? And so how do they then have enough bankroll to bankrupt mm -hmm. another king? One after another, after another, after another, after another for hundreds of years. There's no fucking way. It's because the Venetian black nobility were giving them their bankroll and their marching orders and had them underneath. And so I see I see that um, uh, Jewish people have been used as uh, front men for a long, long time. And what's more, I think the Venetian black nobility have even created something uh, called an egregore. I interview a man who wrote a book about this uh, named Mark Stavish on my channel. But to sum up, an egregore is simply like when you get lost in a crowd is one way of putting it. I mean, this is just one very easy to explain example. You like, imagine you're, you're at a football game and suddenly you're just like, man, I'm really fucking getting into this. Yeah. You know? And you're like, I don't actually give a shit. I'm just here with my friend, but you get swept up in the emotion of it. What it is, is that the Raiders egregore is like roaring this, this magical construct, which is a whole essential, Languages of ideas and feelings and thoughts and emotions around the Raiders. So the Raiders has an egregore, and so with the 49ers. In a way, there's like this psychic fight going on between the egregore of the Raiders and the 49ers that's playing out on the football field down below. And people are getting swept up in the emotion of it. Or Democrats and Republicans are World Cup, right? And you really see the egregore. You see the egregore of England or whatever that country it is. So it's sort of groupthink, but it's more than that. It's actually something to where a bunch of thoughts and ideas have, have become so powerful in so many people's mind that this sort of separate entity arises. And it has its own intelligence and its own sort of agenda to some degree. Um, and I believe that 
there was an anti-Semitism egregore that was created by the Venetian black nobility intentionally as a psychic spiritual firewall to prevent people from getting deeper. And you can see this in the extreme reaction that people have to whether it's when when it seems that something anti anti-Semitic comes up. Some people get ravenous, let's get all the Jews. I've had it with them. I've had with their destruction, right? They go crazy in that way. And then some people are like, Jews have never done anything wrong. Israel's a beautiful place. Those Palestinians deserve it. Blah, 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 blah. You know, like just totally like just checking out the principles and morals of that person and the rational thinking. It's just like it's like they're possessed. Interesting, man. And this happened to me. When I was, you know, with my beautiful little son, who I say, you know, he's Ashkenazi Jewish. His, his mother's Ukrainian Jew. So, I mean, that's literally Kazarian. I mean, it doesn't get any more Kazarian than that, right? And so my beautiful son is that. And I found when I was researching this like a decade ago, I'd already heard about the Venetian Black nobility, but I wasn't going deep enough. And I was trying to really build a case for who really runs the world that I could find data on that was solid. And I kept coming up to him, I was like, fuck, it really does kind of look like the Jews run everything. And I didn't feel satisfied with an answer. And I knew on a deep level it wasn't right, but I'd see it. And then I'd get frustrated when I'd see people wave away the Rothschilds or whatever. And I found within myself, I'd have these surges of irrational emotion. And I'd be like, I'm starting to feel hatred in my heart towards people who are Jewish. And I don't feel that. That isn't me. What the fuck is happening? And I really like had to like check myself and figure it out. And then I was able to finally have a breakthrough, like an informational breakthrough about this Venetian black nobility. But it always troubled me the way that my emotions got so aroused in all of this. And so I think that there is a very cynical, not just a political firewall to where like oh we can't criticize jewish people that's anti-semitic and just everyone stops there and fights on that point but i believe there's a spiritual psychic firewall that prevents people from feel feeling into it more i agree man and then they this... go into one or the other camp it's so hard to maintain if you notice how like it's almost you can feel a vibration as you almost like you're being pulled in two directions of like, Oh, I don't want to say that because I don't want to ever see Jewish people harmed that way again. And you'll, you'll f start finding yourself like cowering and moving over in that direction and taken far enough. Pretty soon you're like, Israel can do no wrong. This might be out of your realm, but like, do you think that happened to Kanye West? Well, hold on. I want to get, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Real quick before that, I, I, I really do agree with what you're saying right now. And mm -hmm. because they can't give an inch on that, they have to defend it truth, uh, tooth and nail, because the minute you allow that dam to break, you're questioning the highest of high of all the power structure. So you have to nip it at the smallest level. And that's why going back to Kanye, this guy started saying all this crazy stuff. He disappears. He disappears. And they cannot allow this to happen because they have to show that you get punished if you question it. And it's not Jews. It's just not. It is this higher level the spiritual thing. And this egregore thing that you're talking about is really resonating with me because, again, it gets to manifestation. You can manifest something into reality. So you can manifest this, oh, you know, everything is a slippery slope 
to the Holocaust going, okay, but this guy's so, so this guy SBF, right. With this, uh, uh, FTX, um, stuff and, and Celsius, both Jewish guys. I don't think it's Jews that's doing it. Okay. I just think it happens to be two dudes who happen to be Jewish. They're not doing it because they're Jewish. They're doing it because this system is set up. And for me, it, it's not even about Jews. It's about psychopaths that happen to be in these groups that can rise up and the data that they see, the data, they're they're studying data and they're like, oh, this guy has tendencies that we like that he'll 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 be dead materialism. He lives, breathes everything, dead materialism. Like he doesn't care. He'll set the house on fire. He'll Kaiser so say his family. He doesn't care. And that's who <laughs> so, so so when you when you were talking about on your video and I'll uh -huh. scroll up here, but how they create these markets, right? And it's like these yeah. two guys are fighting. Then you, oh, I'll step right into here because there was a time when Jews had no no rights in Europe. And then suddenly, right around 600, they have all the rights, right? But now they step in and they do this thing. So you get these groups of people who have started banking families and these families keep it going. Not all the kids go into it, but they find the cousin who's like really into dead materialism and is psychopath. And that's who they use. That's why it is. They see, they use the same people that are part of families that have been there forever. And it's not because they're Jewish. It maybe right. it's because there's connection, but it's because these guys are psychopaths and they're psychopaths of every single of religion and group, whether it's Islam or Christianity or Catholicism, it's, 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 it has, it, it's not Judaism that that's causing people to be crazy people. It's psychopaths that are in families that have been working in in these industries forever. That's my opinion. I, I totally agree. And I mean, and there's a historical reason why it was specifically Jews. And it's this it's this ban on usury. And then when it became more looking like it was it's the Jews happens because of another historical event, which was the War of the League of Cambria. And that's where. The French king, the pope, and I think it was some German nobility. I might be wrong about the third party. There were some other group. It might have been Spanish. It was either Spanish or German, I'm pretty sure. But they all formed together, and they're like, we're going to fucking crush these damn nations. They've been fucking shit up for way too long. That's what the kings felt like. And the pope, again, was it was factional. The pope was trying to gain more power. The pope was weak compared to Venice at that time. They thought if we crush Venice, that'll pull a lot of that power into the Vatican. Uh, and so they they marched down there and they were like literally ready to wipe Venice off the map and, map and just kill all the elites. And as they were approaching Venice, like things started to break down. The Venetians bribed the right people and infighting started to break out. Then someone invaded France while the French king was down there. So he had to go back. The alliance fell apart. But what it showed was the Venetians were this close to getting wiped out. And what they realized is we have all this incredible ability to control narratives because they kind of like were the first people using the printing press to create propaganda, right? So early media, right? This is the, the seed of seed germ of really media and especially media as a tool of manipulation and propaganda. The Venetians, once again, they were like, they started that. But they uh, were so hated by the rest of Europe, it's really impossible to overstate how hated they were. And so they realized, oh, shit, we got all this money. We got all this ability to manipulate. But we're actually kind of weak militarily. 
uh, in part because we haven't like really built a culture <coughs> around ourselves because we're trying to keep all the power to ourselves, right? We haven't built up like the French armies the way the French king has because we don't claim a country. We claim kind of an ethos, really. And so they were terrified by that and they liquidated all their assets. Now, mind you, this was right after the new world was discovered. There's a lot of evidence the Venetians in particular, the Zenos had gone over in the 1300s along before Columbus, along with Henry Sinclair, the Scottish guy. There's like a lot of evidence that, you know, uh, and, and they probably already maybe even knew about it because of all the way going back to Canaan, all the stuff. Um, or they might have learned about it during the Fourth Crusade when they sacked the imperial libraries in uh, um Byzantium, or maybe it's Constantinople at the time. I guess it was Constantinople by that point. So they sacked the imperial libraries, and there's a lot of evidence they brought back maps to the New World, among other things. So regardless, they realized they had a real problem, because if you look at a map, they're up on the Adriatic Sea on the northeastern side of Italy. And now that the New World was discovered, and clearly it was going to be like the ancient world all goes around the Mediterranean Sea, all the trade. But it was crystal clear to them that now transatlantic trade or raping the new world was going to be the real money generator going forward. And they had a problem because they're on the Eastern side and they had to go all the way down around the boot of Italy. Right. And then out, and they had to go through the pillars of Hercules, the Strait of Gibraltar and not get rocked by the Muslims that were there. Right. And not have any problems with the Genoans who had an early mover advantage of being on the Western side, Genoa being right. Who, uh, which is where Columbus is from. So, and then also you have the Spanish and the Portuguese are right, right there. So they liquidated their assets and they moved primarily to Amsterdam and London. And in fact, Francis Bacon, AKA Shakespeare was trying to warn about this with things like the Merchant of Venice and otherwise trying to alert Queen Elizabeth that the Venetians were gonna cause problems. And she took a lot of like, she pretty clearly took money from the Venetians. And that's like, this is what kickstarts the British empire as we know it. It's, it's really the Venetian empire. So, so the British empire is the Venetian empire. Yes, 100%. So do they own the Vatican by now, the Venetians? Have they, cause the black nobility gets her name from the Pope trying to hide in there for like decades. And then they're like, well, the black nobility gets its come out, come out. Whatever you are, it's from them doing all manner of evil and kind of flexing on people. It was them saying like, "We're the badass motherfuckers on the block." They were just saying like, "We're dangerous and nobody can stop us." It was it was a name they gave to themselves just to flex on people straight up. That's where that term comes from. And they kind of realized their mistake when they almost got wiped out. And then they go deep underground. They go deep underground from that point forward. They're like the utterly dominant power for, for like 500 years and then gone. And all of a sudden, Amsterdam becomes the reserve currency of the world not too terribly long after this. There was the, the Spanish and the Portuguese had their turn at the reserve currency, but then it was the, the Dutch guilder and then the pound, right? And... If you look like the East India Trading Company, all that stuff is very similar to a company. And I forget the name of that the Venetians have. And so the Venetians, uh, you can see move up there and they start their machinations out of the city, the square mile city of London, that special banking square mile that has is not really part of England. Yeah, <laughs> but it's smack dab in the middle of London. Same way D.C. is not really in the U.S. It's its own magical thing. Same way the Vatican 
is in yeah. Italy, but it's not in, in, yeah. in Italy. It's its own thing. And they you represent know, three different things. They huh? represent military, religion, and money. 100%. Yep. And it's this it's it's this Venetian network, really. And so you, I make the claim, and for a while it was intuitive and based on various different things and like their lineage. But now I actually can prove that at least as recently as the late 1400s, at least one Venetian oligarch absolutely worshipped Moloch and paid an extraordinary sum of money to have a genius polymath create what's called the Solabusca Tarochi. And so this is the game of Saturn, uh, decoding the Solabusca Tarochi by Peter Mark Adams. And I'm just going to read to you just a little piece here. And you remember how I talked about the Fourth Crusade and Constantinople then uh, was very weak after that and fell not too terribly long uh, after that to after the Fourth Crusade. They eventually fall the Muslims a couple hundred years later, but they were already weak. And so the Imperial Library there uh, probably had quite a bit of material that had come up from the Library of Alexandria. More than likely, I can't say this for sure, but they lit the they lit the. Uh, imperial library on fire and they did all sorts of stuff in a way to cover that they were looting stuff out of the imperial fire i think the same thing happened in the library of alexandria i mean that's a long time ago now scant records but i think that the burning of the library of alexandria was a cover for somebody looting it who wanted to just take a bunch of stuff out of there and maybe destroy some stuff too and so oh, a bunch wow of yeah wow i never thought just calling it a burn is looting it i take your shit or oh, burn down yeah. Right. Right. I think they. I think that. I think groups both. All three of the major factions I talk about the most high faction, which is what I'm aligned with, the Luciferians and the Malachians. I think all three of those factions, they might have not, you know, got, I, I, who knows what names they went by, but I think all three of them probably got in there and got stuff because we know that like the Knights Templar got into the Imperial Library and looted stuff during this event in the Fourth Crusade. So did the Teutonic Knights, and so did the Venetians. So that right there is three different groups, although there's some crossover between those groups. But we know that all of them went in there, and that's relevant to what I'm about to read here. So the game of Saturn is the first full-length scholarly study of the enigmatic Renaissance masterwork known as the Solabusca Terra. It reveals the existence of a pagan liturgical and ritual tradition active amongst members of the Renaissance elite and encoded within the deck. Beneath its beautifully decorated surface, its imagery ranges from the obscure to the grotesque. We encounter scenes of homoeroticism. I'm going to pause it there for just a second. It was the death penalty in Italy, gay sex during this period of time. So homoeroticism, a very big deal, a very big deal. I, I just need you to say be that. in trouble. Right, right. It could it could get you killed, potentially, unless you were powerful and protected. Yeah, I see uh, you'd be in deep trouble. Go right. On. So we encounter scenes of homoeroticism, wounding, immolation, and decapitation, redolent of hidden meanings, violent transformations, and obscure rites. For the first time in over 500 years, the clues embedded within the cards reveal a dark Gnostic grimoire replete with pagan theurgical and astral magic rites. Careful analysis demonstrates that the presiding deity of this cult object is none other than the Gnostic Demiurge in its most archaic and violent form, the Afro-Levantine serpent dragon Baal Haman. 
also known as Kronos and Saturn, the more notoriously as the biblical Moloch. What? Whoa. They're all the same? Um, well, yes, Kronos, Saturn, Baha'im, and Moloch, those are all those are four different names for the same deity. Yes. Yes. Those are all but the same where's names. the Demiurge fit into that? Is he there too? So some people claim, some people claim I, I would actually d- depart from the author on that particular fine point that the 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 demiurge, I think, actually, yes, in this era, the demiurge would take the form of Moloch. In the era of the bronze and silver yugas where Lucifer rule, we haven't got to that yet, it would be some sort of Luciferian version of the Demiurge. And then the the most high, because the Demiurge's whole thing is to keep people trapped in the realm of illusion, right? It's very similar to the uh, uh, Buddhist concept, concept of Maya or Mara, maybe it is, the like Lord of Illusion. Anyways, let me continue here. Conveyed from Constantinople to Italy in the dying years of the Byzantine Empire, the pagan Platonist George Gemostus Platon sought to ensure the survival of the living Athens of Neoplatonic theurgy by transplanting it to the elite families of the Italian Renaissance. Now, he was trying to transplant something good and beautiful, but very specific and powerful like hermetic teachings. But he made a terrible mistake with who he gave this stuff to. Within that violent and sorceress milieu, Platon's vision of a theurgically enlightened elite mutated into its dark shadow, a Saturnian brotherhood operating within a cosmology of predation, which sought to channel the draconian current to preserve elite wealth, power, and control. This development marks the birth of an illumined elite over three centuries before Weishaupt's Illuminati. This deck captures the essence of this magical tradition and constitutes a Western terma whose talismanic properties may serve to establish an initiatory link within the current. So it goes on a little bit, but this tarot deck has actual magical rites within it, and it was almost certainly used to initiate people into some level of Moloch worship. And it was preserved for 500 years, like in perfect condition by this elite Italian family. So this shows me that 1500 2000 years after very close to 2000 years after the the fall of tyre these families are still worshiping moloch if they're worshiping moloch for almost 2000 years later i don't think it's an unreasonable assertion to say they continue to to this day and i think the evidence is right there with the epstein stuff and there was also a um in 1666, there's the, the rise of uh, uh, Sabatian uh, Frankism uh, with, I forget what his name, uh, well, anyways, the founder of Sabatian Frankism. It's this very strange offshoot. Now, I don't even really think it's fair to call it Judaism because it's pretty clear to me it's Moloch worship because yeah. it's all about the inversion of, of the Torah and all the principles of the Torah. Uh, and how they said essentially that the real God is hidden and it's hidden by this sort of evil Gnostic God that's hiding it. And they're trying to trick you into doing good, but that's what keeps you rooted here. If you really want to know the true creator, you have to break all the taboos. If you really want to know, you have to break all the taboos. And so it inverts everything. It's all inverted nonsense and child harm. And this is around the time when you start hearing a lot about like blood libel. 
Blood libel is a little bit before that, but you start hearing that about that, which was a terrible thing that Jews were accused of all the time that they were drinking blood, right? Jews weren't, but these Malachian fuckers who happened to have been born Jewish were. And that's yeah. that whole adrenochrome thing. And so that's the distinction you have to make. You said earlier, why would the elite in Israel unleash the shot on all these Israeli people? If it was Jews, Would why would they harm the chosen people? Well, they wouldn't, right? But they're not Jews. They're Malachians. They're Sabbatians. They're evil. And they hate their own people and will gladly throw them into the meat grinder. And is that really any different than any other group? Won't the King of England send his men into the meat grinder to get a couple few yards in World War One, They did. Didn't Germans send people to die? Didn't Stalin send people to die? Well, they did. And it's the same fucking thing here. And quit acting like your Jewish friend that you hang out with and watch movies with is exactly the same as a Rothschild. That's yeah. uh, insane. That's like saying that I'm responsible for everything Biden did just because I'm a white dude. You know? Exactly. Or, or that all Lebanese people, because... Lebanese people are from the same rootstock as the Venetian black nobility. We need to look at the Lebanese people. They're bad, blah, blah, blah. I mean, you can always have that mentality, and it's always wrong, pretty much. And so these people don't give a shit. And they also, I might add, yeah, they're doing it with COVID, the COVID jab, but they did it during World War II as well. Like the B'nai B'rith, the, 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 the precursor to the ADL, do you know what its main job was? It was tamping down all the rumors in New York of bad stuff going on in Germany because like, uh, uh, I think it's the Warburg family, which is a very wealthy Jewish banking family. They owned the Hamburg America shipping line and they did mad business back and forth to Germany. And they liked Hitler. They liked how much money he was making them. They didn't give a shit. And that's plus, the whole thing, dude. That's the whole thing. If you study Jeffrey Epstein, you really study. There's so much occult symbolism there that has oh, nothing yeah. to do with Judaism. They use that as a, a, a mask to walk around us. It's really Moloch worship. Yeah, it's just like the Venetians pretended to be Christian. They ain't Christian. Are you kidding me? They couldn't be further from. You know, and so like, and there's, and there's, you know, like there's a huge pedophilia problem on the Arabian Peninsula among the elites on the Arabian Peninsula who are Muslim. They're not Muslim, bro. They're fucking Malak. It's the same damn thing. And again, how many of these people actually worship that being? Probably not a ton. Probably it's a small percentage, even among the power elite. But those people's mindset are like boom, 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 boom. even if yeah. they aren't aware themselves they might be aware that they're part of some evil power structure but they might not be aware of the spiritual stuff because a lot of them are into dead materialism and moloch would love for everyone to believe in dead materialism why because that tamps down on anyone else's magic the disbelief of all these people who believe in dead materialism if you try and do magic around a, a disbeliever it'll destroy your spell Conversely, if you get rid of everyone else and there's no, they're, they're not near you and you and your buddies get together in a castle and decide to do some black magic spell, it's going to be really effective now because there's no resistance to it and you've stamped down any other magicians or shamans who might be trying to fight with you. And it makes it really easy to control those people with your favorite thing, which is the creation of fear. So yeah, these they're not they're not uh 
they're not Jewish. They're not Christian. They're not even Italian, you know, <laughs> they're, they're Malachian and, and, and that they have no loyalty to any group or any, anything. They just, you know, they wow. have, they want power. And is there an, is there like an initiation to get into it, or how does that work? Yeah, it's out? pedophilia, dude. Yeah, that's, but that's the main. Yeah, yeah, and, pedophilia. Uh, okay, go on. Sorry, but yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, and and also murder. And I mean, and like, and then like, it, that's very interwoven with the blackmail thing. And so I think a lot of people do pedophilia stuff, and they get initiated into the lower levels. But it's just like. With masonry, lower level masons don't know the same information that higher level masons know or compartmentalization and intelligence. It's the same kind of thing. So when like, say, whoever, whatever actor, Kevin Spacey, there's one that someone that pretty much everyone hates and with good reason. When Kevin Spacey went to Epstein's Island, right, which we know he did, mm -hmm. then like he might have raped kids, but he might not worship Moloch. Right. He may have engaged in uh, a tacit worship of Moloch without even understanding it. Right. And likewise, these elites among the Venetians, I think almost all of them are very aware of this and actively do worship. But I think there may be a layer beyond them, which would be a magician layer. Which would be the most hidden. And that magician layer would draw from and works hand in glove with this Venetian oligarchs. But I think that they're the ultimate power would be the priesthood and magician class. Sorcerers. Subgroup of this Venetian black nobility. And I've... so in my opinion, that's what I've been able to trace, like who seems to run the world. And you kind of have to reverse engineer it from understanding the power of the U.S. and the British Empire and then go, okay, well, where did the British Empire come from? Oh, wow, this League of Cambrai thing. Oh, wow, hey, look at this. There was the usury. You have to kind of work your way backwards. I mean, that's how I found a lot of the stuff. I, it was actually a um, uh, Lyndon LaRouche Jr. for president was how I first, first heard of this back in the early 2000s. I got a pamphlet from someone I had an interesting conversation with that person, weirdly, person was military and talked about getting experimented on with vaccines kind of funny but um i was just really fascinated by this guy and i was just like this is so interesting and the group actually engaged me like i went over with them and was like this is some right wing thing i'm gonna go over and learn them because back then i was lefty before back when lefty meant you believed in human rights and protect the environment and black people are cool <laughs> and stuff before it became chop your kids dick off or your hitler <laughs> but um <laughs> You know, so I went over to have like an argument with these guys or whatever. And then I was like, wow, they're really knowledgeable and cool and intelligent. And this um, this one guy I talked to quite a bit. I forget his name. This uh, black man had been in the military. He talked about the experiments of vaccine stuff. And so I took that pamphlet and I went home and I was just clicking through some articles. And now I can't find it. But there's an article by him called The Toads of Venice that talked about this. And I was like, how have I never heard of this before? That's so strange because I considered myself a history buff. And I was like, how have I not heard of this banking stuff out of Venice? I'd heard about that they were very wealthy, but you know what? Banking, that's interesting. And I just kind of forgot about it for a long time until years later, I was like, I'm going to fucking get to the bottom of this. I don't care how long it takes me. I want to like at least have some idea of who's running thing and nothing satisfies me. Nothing I found to satisfy me. This... I don't know, thesis that I have, it satisfies me. It's incomplete. It's not perfect. And I'm always... I love it. I welcome criticism and I welcome people asking questions. 
I find that most often the people who really find real issue with it are either think I'm anti-Semitic or think that I'm helping the Jews to lead all the Goyim to slaughter and slavery, you know? So it's either anti-Semites or people who are very hyper-vigilant about anti-Semitism to, to put it in a nice frame. <laughs> wow. You, know, you do great work. I have two questions for you, Ian, yeah. before we yeah. go. So, there's all this discussion on Luciferian. There was Saint Lucifer. There was the one mention of Lucifer in the Bible, Lucifer, light bearer. Uh, so, you know, if you go through your thing, what is the difference between a Luciferian and, and a Moloch? Is it is Luciferian bad too? I mean... That's a great question. Is there any way we can put that chart up again? And I'll just uh, uh, show kind of the difference here again. Um, because, yeah, that's um, an absolutely great question. And there's, there's a huge difference. And one of the things is that we haven't really talked about something called the Yuga system. Uh, but I talk about it more on my website. But, but it's essentially the Hindus conceive of there's there's four ages or, well, there's there, I guess there's there's maybe eight. So there's a descending Kali Yuga, there's an ascending Kali Yuga, which this is the darkest, most heavy, and it's when Moloch rules. And then we go out of that into an ascending Dwarpa or Bronze Age, then an ascending Treta or Silver Age, and then an ascending Golden Age, a descending Golden Age, a descending Silver Age, a descending Bronze Age, and then you're back to the descending Kali Yuga. And this goes as we travel around the galactic center, we go through these phases of consciousness. And it seems to have... It has to do with like, I guess right now we're passing through like some remnants of a very evil star that exploded in ancient times. And so our, our solar system is passing through that cloud and we're just about to leave that. And that that's part of what causes this, you know, yugas and this to be a dark age always. And so if you look here at the Malachians, they have this Epstein style harm of children, physical torture, slavery, dead materialism, chaotic duality, that chaos that you were talking about earlier, parasitism right? To where you're just, you're not even a predator, you're just like extracting, right? Um, might makes right, that's really important. Material stagnation for humanity. Moloch loved the Dark Ages. The Dark Ages in Europe is Moloch's template for what he wants for all of us at all times. Or maybe third world conditions now, sub-Saharan Africa. Moloch loves that shit. A tiny wealthy elite and everybody suffering and totally bad material circumstance. It's very stable because Moloch says, submit to me or be destroyed. Moloch is sometimes called the fear that passes understanding. The same way Yeshua or Jesus said in the Bible that the most high God was the peace that passeth understanding. So Moloch gets you so afraid that you'd be willing to give up your children, yeah. right? The ultimate fear. Yeah. So then you'll notice there's a crossover here because this is the Luciferian sphere, which is above it. It's a higher vibration. And you'll notice there's some crossover. Look at that. Desire for power, ruthlessness, hierarchy, right? Like a hierarchical society, conquest, competition. Now, Malachians like competition in the form of two gladiators killing each other or whatever. But there's crossover. There's some similarity in the behavioral patterns of these two groups. Where they start to get different is that Luciferians also believe in enlightened self-interest. They're like, look, we don't need to be dead materialists. We understand there's a spiritual element, but there's a reason why it just makes sense to look out for yourself. And if you do it in a way that helps society, then, hey, that's not so bad. And like, you know, it, it, it's more evolved, but it's still it's still about the guy with the thumbs, right? 
So rule of law over man, they're really big into contracts, right? They honor contracts and rule of law. Whereas the Malkins are like, they just break, they just say Mike makes right, they break the law all the time. If you'll notice some of the positive legal stuff that's going on is coming in, I believe from this Luciferian impulse. I mean, I believe there's an actual group of people who worship Lucifer. And so you might say, Lucifer, oh no, he's bad, he's in the Bible. No, Luciferianism is... It, it does have some bad stuff, right? This conquest, competition, desire for power and ruthless, but it also has things like it allows for cooperation, advance in the arts and sciences, the spiritualization of humanity. They believe very much, they want humans to know about the esoteric knowledge because Lucifer wants the increase of the material well-being of humans. He wants basically the perfected man. <laughs> when I say the perfected man, I mean to where you're like really strong and you're really intelligent. You're really a self-made man and you're just you're you're the best of the best. And they really like uh, finding out like who's the best at stuff. They like competition. They like social Darwinism. They like, you know, they, they believe in eugenics in the sense of like that the best should flourish and that weaker. They don't care so much if the weaker suffer. However, they are pragmatic. And if you like said, well, in Florida, we put all, or not Florida, in Utah, we put all the homeless in hotels and then they got jobs and that saved us money. Luciferians would be like, all right, let's do that. Malakians would be like, no, they should suffer. They're worms. Fuck them. Right. So it's a little different there. The one doesn't really care and it's like they can suffer, whatever. But if it's like pragmatic to do it, they're like, yeah, let's do that. Why not? Right. Whereas the Malakians delight in suffering, they want suffering. So, they also, you know, if you, if you just look at it, like th there's a real phase shift that happens as you move up into this and where you can see the Luciferian impulses in Renaissance Florence, where there's this sudden explosion of art and science and reason and just all this explosion of knowledge and things that improve the uh, material condition of humanity. Uh, things that uh, talk about the spiritual spirituality of humanity and uplifting and immediately it was crushed down then you see the enlightenment same thing again reason contracts meritocracy rule of law republics right and again it's crushed down and then you see it especially in the united states with the constitution bill of rights here's where i'll lose some of the right-wingers the constitution bill of rights is about the most luciferian document on earth damn and it's talking about meritocracy, honoring contracts, rule of law over man, enlightened self-interest, cooperation, advancements in arts and sciences. Luciferians don't care who you worship. Lucifer figures you're going to worship Lucifer because you're going to worship yourself and by extension Lucifer. Because Malachians kind of secretly are self-hating. They hate themselves. They hate everything. Luciferians are kind of narcissists. And then most high people are people who have truly mastered self-love, right? You, you, you really love yourself and you know that like Yeshua said, Jesus said, love thy neighbor as thyself. That's where you recognize I am an aspect of God. You're an aspect of God. All of this is an aspect of God. And if that's the case and you are me and I am you, I, why would I want to harm you? Why would I do anything but lift my brother up? Why would I do anything but help my sister and make her better, Right. So that's like where you've, you've really opened your heart. It's at another level. And so these can also be looked at as stages of human consciousness. And we're, you know, I myself like to spend most of my time hanging out kind of like up here when I can. And then sometimes, you know, I'm down here. And if some guy cuts me off in the fucking freeway, 
I might be all of a sudden conquest competition. I'm going <laughs> to yeah. fucking run this guy off the road. We're going to have words. <laughs> you know, I can spike down into that more negative, lower consciousness. It does happen. But my standard consciousness is somewhere up here. And we're not really, I mean, we're not really ready for a world that has a new golden age, in my opinion. And if you think, oh, yeah, I am. Okay, so can I come? Uh, I'm going to stay at your house as long as I want. And I'm going to borrow <laughs> your car. I could really use a car. Oh, I'm feeling like property rights are a thing, Ian. Yeah. Yeah, I know you are. So am I. I'm with you. I, you know, like, I'm not there either. I'm not ready to just have that level. And we just, as a species, aren't. But we're fucking done with this bottom sphere. We're all sick of it. It's been six So where does it go? So where do we? Well, what do you see? This is my last question, Ian. What? How do you see, I, I've seen you talk about 2025 and all that stuff. Could you just end on that? Like, how do you think everything's going to play out? Yeah, does someone want to click this? You can click that chart off now. Um, but, you know, people can look at this more, pause it, and take a closer look at it. Um, so I, you know, some of the information I have is, you know, just gleaned from, like, news stories and watching trends. And Gerald Salente says you can always tell what's going to happen in the future because of current events. It's that same fractal nature of the universe thing, right? So some of this is, like, logically deduced. And some of this is based on, um, you know, talking to other people who are spiritualists, various different prophecies. And also, I will tell you, and people can take this with a grain of salt, some of this has been told to me directly by the angels themselves. I, I'm an angelic magician. I work with the angels all the time. And a bunch of things they have said uh, would happen, has happened. I'll give you an example. They told me back in October, watch for gold and silver back cryptocurrencies are going to come. And this is going to be a part of what brings about the fall of Moloch. And boom, Bank in Russia talking about they're using the Ripple network to create tokenized gold. Why are they doing that? Probably because they're going to sell oil. They're probably going to sell a barrel of oil for a gram of gold. And that completely blows up the petrodollar, which I won't digress into that, but this topic for another show. So... Also now um, in Dubai, I think it is, they're also offering um, gold and silver back crypto. So they're beginning to tokenize gold and silver and back, and back crypto with it, which takes crypto from ephemeral, you know, you can make a lot of money. You know, I, I got crypto investments. You can lose a lot of money. But <laughs> if you anchor it with gold and silver, that is a game changer beyond what I can possibly describe. Decentralized currency that's instantly transferable back to gold and silver that'll break the back of the Malachian usury system it really will and that's so a real gold I'm standard saying. so it'd be a real gold standard um yeah i mean it probably be it probably end up being a bimetallic standard and um that's part of what i think is going to happen but what i see is i see that this luciferian group right the most prototypical two guys i can name off the top of my head are elon musk and donald trump Right. And you see how these guys are ruthless. Right. You see, these guys are conquests and competition. They like try and fuck with Donald Trump. <laughs> it's not going to go well. Like he will he will fuck you up and he won't think twice about it. But I don't think he likes the kid diddling thing. I think he's against it. And that's one of the things the Luciferians seem to hate. The the Epstein style harm of children shit and like who, like question mark who doesn't. But. They seem to be very much against it. And they also recognize that it's one of the Achilles heels of this group. So if you look, the Malachians, the thing about them is, is they say total surrender, total submission or total annihilation, right? So 
they would totally burn the house down with all of us in it and themselves rather than give it up. They'll never give you the keys to the house. They'll burn it down with all of us inside it. So if you're dealing with an opponent that that's that is that fucking insane that they'll burn it all down, you got to be real, real careful as you take over. The Malakians want to inst- inst- put in their great reset, total cradle to grave slavery thing. That's if you look at it, it's kind of cartoonish, right? It like almost seems like how could this possibly be real? It just seems like guys got high on their own ego supply and just went off the fucking deep end. Yeah. About cricket paste and being dropped in tanks and having brain chips and shit. I mean, it's fucking insane. I mean, it's totally insane. And like no reasonable person would want it. It's almost like someone's behind him like, yeah, yeah. And tell him to eat bugs too, Klaus. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. I should do that. I mean, this is a Luciferian in the air of the Malachian setting these fuckers up to fall. And if you look, they're prepping the narrative. COVID-19, they tried to kill y'all. Look at them on Epstein's Island and look at all this nonsense with the banks and you see it like the Epstein thing it keeps going away hammer it down and oh, pops back up again Balenciaga mm-hmm. and that Balenciaga thing that wasn't some guy on the spectrum on 4chan that figured that out that was intelligence that was an intelligence drop so was Pizzagate it wasn't necessarily a one-to-one intelligence drop but it was intelligence what you're talking and, like QAnon? Is it QAnon coming into this? Are you into QAnon? So something like that has some legs. QAnon itself, I think, was like a multi-layered thing of more than one group coming together and doing something. And one group had one agenda and another group had another agenda. The Malakians were using QAnon, in my opinion, to find all the people who were especially in the government that weren't loyal to them and to flush them out, right? But I also think that this Luciferian faction is putting this information out there saying there's good guys who are gonna sweep in like white knights and save you because they want that narrative percolating in people's brains. So when the Luciferians turn the corner on the Malachians, which I believe they will in the next seven years or less, like especially between 2025 and 2028, although shit's going to heat up this year absolutely fucking for sure. Oh, shit. Um, but uh, when they really when they really go at it, um, they're going to really present themselves as saviors of humanity. And it's going to be a really easy sales pitch because they're just going to say, look, they tried to kill y'all. And they rape kids. And they also try and take your money and have been taking your money and slaving you with this banking system. And those are all pretty compelling arguments and fuck those guys. Right. And right. I don't think it's going to be very hard to sell people on that. They ought to run the show if they've rescued us from this. And I mean, I go way more into this. I will tell you that the Luciferians seem to control space to a large degree and all the space technology, right? Musk. Look at my, look at Musk, man. Look what he did this week at Davos calling out Davos. What the actual fuck? Interesting. Like, is that not I, 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 dude, makes sense to me, honestly. And yeah. my only question is, but are these Luciferians, do they, um, are they, is, do they have good intentions? They're self-interested. And what they'll do is they're going to take a, in my opinion, they're going to, I think some things are going to stick that we don't like, right? And like digital ID, I think is going to stick. 
crypto is going to stick, right? Um, I think it'll be this gold and silver. And people have different views on crypto, but some people are very scared of it and it can be abused. And there's reason to be scared of blockchain money, right? There, and I won't go into it here, but surveillance, right? Surveillance is how they're about to take over. Because they have all these Malachians, they have a huge amount of them blackmail stuff. And what they're doing, it seems, is going around and grabbing people and twisting their arm and saying, listen, you're going to stay in this position that you're in, or maybe you're going to resign. But you're going to either resign or stay in the position you're in. And then when we tap you to do something, you just fucking do it. But between now and then, you keep your mouth shut and you just do your job. And if the Malachians tell you to kill people, you just kill people like you normally would. But the minute we come in the other ear and say, now's go time do X, Y, or Z, you got to do it. And also we want you to roll on whoever's above you. Tell us what you have about them. So they the, the Luciferians seem to control most of the very high-end technology. And so what they're doing is they're slowly but surely laying the groundwork for a takeover. And I mean, it gets into stuff what to do with, and I haven't really gone into this a lot, but like Future fake alien invasion, I think, will, may very well end up playing a role in this. You, you know, the whole Project Bluebeam Blue Beam thing. I think that that could be one way that the Malakians go down is that they move all that tech into a, into various areas with their planned fake uh, Independence Day kind of thing, you know. But then I think the Luciferians will go, hey, guess what? Under the cover of this, we're going to fly these fuckers and we're going to go yeah. to Davos and get that zap, zap, zap you or wherever your your estate is i think that once that they're allowed to move as part of this thing where the malachians think they're going to win with the great reset one of the things people need to understand is all the stuff that seems smart that the malachians are doing it's actually been the luciferians have been acting as their consigliore their little guy advising the mafia dawn but now they're getting ready to backstab that because the time is right. It's just it's the time is right. We're we're switching. We're switching from Malachian era to Luciferian era. And now, does does that mean that the power balance is? I mean, because it sounds like up to this point, the Malachians have had more power. Generally, is that would that be oh, accurate? Totally, to say? I would say I would say total power, really. And the Luciferians, okay. whenever they try and like show a little bit of a flex, you know, like the United States, then they get slapped down. The War of eighteen twelve. And that's and that's poised to change now. You're saying. Uh, I, I believe so. Yeah. I mean, and again, like some of this stuff, like I have to be honest, some of the stuff is coming directly from the angels. And some of it is just gleaned from just like a lot of deep reading on history and certain trends that I see like in finance and tech and, and elsewhere that I think aligns with this. And I mean, sort of what happened was I was told all this stuff over the past like 18 months or so. And then I've had to reverse engineer and justify what I was told directly. And I mean, there's been lots of stuff that I've been told to where it just like it, you know, like it it happens. And so I, I, I can't I don't expect anyone to take what I'm saying as an article of faith when it comes to the angels told me this shit. I'm just relating my experience and that, you know, like they've been right again and again and again. And all the stuff that they've said about that. that Moloch's going to fall, the Luciferian move, you know, and you see the general arc of history seems to be in this Luciferian current more and more. You know, we've been moving as a species more and more in that direction and more away from that other thing, you know, and so they will be better. And the way I would say is imagine a really light touch, digital, probably, you know, something to where it's 
still not 100% freedom, but imagine vastly more freedom. Imagine a mix of constitutional United States, early constitutional United States minus slavery, plus Florence, plus 21st century tech talking anti-gravity and free energy. Let's and go. That's Let's go. It's going to be a lot of meritocracy, but there's still going to be problems. There's still going to be stuff to where we as people who aren't as selfish as that are going to have to work to progress the culture forward and help people. I mean, I vastly prefer the Luciferian group to the Milwaukeeans. Just the Epstein shit alone is enough for me to prefer them because they're against that. But there's a bunch of other far more positive things that they that they believe in. But there's still going to be poverty. There'll still be hierarchy. You know, they'll still I think be- that's this realm, dude. I think it's a realm of consequences. And if you do certain things, you know, you connect with God and, uh, you know, vibrate at higher levels. You can manipulate this energy. This has been a great conversation, Ian. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, I have to go pee really bad. Uh, but <laughs> this has been, this is exactly what I wanted. You came, you saw, you knocked it out of the park. You dropped the hammer of the gods. One more time, Ian. Can you tell where they can find you? Yeah, man. And I want to say to you, Sam, I would love to uh, do your chart for free and then you can share it to them. You can share with your audience like what that experience was for you. I just wanted to offer that to you. Um, But you can find me at White Lotus of Light on YouTube and then whitelotusoflight.com. I also have White Lotus of Light BitChute. I'm way behind uploads on BitChute. Um, But uh, Sam, it's been a pleasure. Xavier, Johnny, thank you so much. I super appreciate it. Uh, Would love to come back sometime if you want me. And uh, the door's open, dog, all the time, anytime. You know. Uh, I appreciate it. I look forward to this. All your links will be in the uh, description below. Guys, thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed this as much as I enjoyed it. We have dangerous conversations here, but these are <laughs> where you come for that. And that's why I loved it. And everything we said here, I thoroughly enjoyed. And uh, I hope to see you guys in Long Beach tomorrow night. And then Bakersfield and I after. Just go to samtriplee.com for all your tickets. Sorry about my voice again. Hopefully it'll be better by next week. I love you all very much. Thank you guys for joining me. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Have a, have a great week, everybody. Bye. We go deep, homeboy. Aaron, open your mind. Drink from the fountain of knowledge. There's lizard people everywhere. That's some interdimensional shit. Wake up, Aaron. This is only the beginning. Dude, you just blew my mind. Tim foil hack, tin foil hack, tin foil hack, tin foil hack.